I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as reanimated corpses, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. Holy shit, man, we're back. I know, man. It's like to the listeners, it's like, yeah, it's the next episode. To us, it's like, where you been, man? Yeah, I mean, we haven't done this in like (laughs) almost three months. Jesus Christ. It's been a lot of me editing shit and then sending it to Josh to prove and then uploading it and not sleeping. I haven't slept much at all. Yeah, I don't see how you've juggled the new kid and all of this. And work. Because it's... In the house we're sitting in right now, I'm prepping to sell. It's been a blast. This 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 load is not equally shared because you took on all this other stuff, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go see a movie every weekend. <laughs> I know, I know, right? <laughs> Speaking of movies, uh, I've seen a bunch of movies since we recorded last. They were unfortunately all children's movies because I got to take my five and four year old out. But I've seen Toy Story four and Spider Man and Aladdin. How about you? You see any any good movies? Um, Child's Play. Godzilla, um, Annabelle Comes Home, and most recently, Crawl. Your list is a lot cooler than mine. <laughs> I didn't take small children with me. Uh, I heard Crawl's terrible. It is. I was excited because I saw Sam Raimi on it, but apparently it's just that slap this shit on there and get it out the door. That's what I'm thinking. I'd have to do some digging on it, but I really hope that it was just producer, executive producer in name only because yeah. it was boring. I literally, okay, so we always go to the early matinee. So at 10 a.m., 20 minutes into the movie, I fell asleep. <laughs> and the wife actually had to wake me up. It was, not only was it slow, it just wasn't that good. I mean. I usually don't get into like the large animal movies that are like sci-fi quality, except for like maybe like Placid. I like that one back in the day. The CGI in Lake Placid was probably better than in Crawl. Really? Because that was like 20 years ago. I know, right? That's fucking crazy. Yeah. It just, it didn't work out well. Annabelle was cool. Parts of it, it just feels like, and I know James Wan was attached to it and everything, but it seemed like a lot of things that worked were all thrown in a box and shook up and thrown out. Like we have to do this, this, and this, and it could have been streamlined a bit better, but like the, uh, the ferry man, you know, who has the boat to the river sticks and all that he's in there and that part's cool. There was some neat stuff in it. Um, I was pleasantly surprised can't say the same thing about Godzilla or Child's Play. I still want to see Child's Play. I mean, I've heard mixed things, but I've heard that if you just like go in to see a reimagined slasher movie, that it's good. I can't disassociate. I just can't. I do have you in a text message saying uh, in a vacuum, it was a good movie. Yeah. But in the moment, like anyways, the clever thing <laughs> to me is when they made the first Child's Play, they were marketing on the satanic panic. Yeah. That's why they did the voodoo, you know, and he possessed the body. Exactly. And on this one, they're going off of the fear of AI taking over, which is like the current satanic panic. Exactly. So, I mean, if you're going to reboot something and try to use like something like that, I think they did a good job of picking the source. I'll give them that one. There are no other callbacks, like none. Like but we got Mark Hamill, man. How was he? One note as fuck. Oh, man. I hate to put it that way. It's like somebody had a whip and was telling him, no, you're going to be the same pre-recorded thing no matter what. You just whoosh, whoosh, like. We are supposed to sound like a doll recording. It is, but it's like they did. It, he felt like that he was con- confined. I can't knock him. I feel like his he was confined by others. Because he is Chucky's voice on Robot Chicken when they have Chucky on there. Yeah. But he's supposed to be sounding like Chucky. Yeah. And he had to do his own thing on this one, which he's a very well-established voice actor. Yeah. Outside of being, you know, the cock knocker. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and Luke Skywalker. (laughs) (laughs) And then, I don't know, I don't want this to turn to a review thing, but like Godzilla, 
You know, I was talking about it on the podcast, like big monster movie on big screen. I'm so excited. And then the story was shit. <laughs> I want to see it though. I was joking earlier. I, I did see lots of kids movies with my kids and it was fun. Well, Spider-Man, that was for me too. But I have gotten to catch up on some horror shows. Oh, okay. Swamp Thing is fucking awesome. I lost interest after like the first three episodes, but the wife hammered that one out. Yeah, it's it gets uh, more horror past that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Stranger Things season three hammered the fuck out of that one. Yeah, we didn't get to watch that one on the fourth. We watched it that weekend, though. That was fun. It needs to take a turn. Yeah. It's, it's gone back to the well enough times, in my opinion. When it got to... Fuck it. Spoilers. When it got to the never ending story bit, like at the beginning of it, I'm like, this is dumb. And then halfway through it, I'm like, this is so cute. No, I actually like <laughs> applauded my laptop. When they did that. I was like, this is okay. Okay. Sometimes they overdo the nostalgia, but yeah. I was like this, this was like the way they needed to do it. Like they've never gone just full on fucking musical number. <laughs> Can you imagine like the Russian spying on the other end? Like what the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> Interestingly enough, I, I watched that on July 4th, and I thought I had read that it was six episodes. I had to work July 5th, unfortunately. Oh. So I was like, I'll stay up till 2.30 in the morning to finish Stranger Things. And I, I have 15 minutes left because I had to pause it because one of the kids got up or something, right? And I'm laying in bed next to my wife, my tablet, and my, my earbuds in, and I pause it when I'm watching episode six, the season finale. And I see that it has 15 minutes left, and there's no way that it can be the season finale. Yeah. And then I realized there was eight episodes, and I stayed up to 2.30 for no reason. So I finished it the next day. I thought I was going to ram through Nosferatu, right? Because I just read the book, and I was like all pumped. I've only watched the first two, and it was like, meh. Oh, really? It just got greenlit for season two at Comic-Con this weekend. I made it through like the first third and then lost interest and was doing other stuff. But the wife, once again, was just hammering it out. And I came back for the end. And uh, I think I may, I probably didn't do it justice. Okay. I, I probably would have been way more into it had I stayed focused. I get scatterbrained, man. I'm weird. Like if something <laughs> can't grab me by the balls right out the gate, it's hard for me to give it a full chance. But I know she she watched the whole thing and she dug it. She did yell at the TV a few times, though, about severe deviations from the book. Oh, yeah. I caught severe deviations in the first two episodes. Some of them I accepted, though, because it, it saves a lot of time from having to do some bullshit. Like the main character, Vic McQueen, it starts out with her, a, a little girl in the beginning of the book, and that's when she has her first interactions with them and everything. Yeah. And then it time lapses. And them just starting with it all happening when she was already older. Yeah. I mean, that saves a lot of backstory you didn't necessarily need in a TV show. So I'm okay if it's, you know, if it's a change that makes it better for the screen. I just hate dumb changes. <laughs> I'm trying to think. It seems like there was another horror show that I watched, but maybe not. I don't know. It's just been a lot of sleep deprivation work. There was a lot of editing there for a little while. Yeah. I was going to say, man, where's the, where have you found time to do any of this? <laughs> I only sleep three to four hours a day. Dude, we're not friggin' 13 anymore. You I can't know. do that. I know my body's starting to tell me that. And, uh. I got like fucking hooked on the Harry Potter Wizards Unite game, playing the hell out of that. So I don't know. I've just been kind of all over the place doing things. <laughs> I do them in shifts though, really. Like I'll set up a few hours this day to do this and just kind of efficiently plan it. It works yeah. out, you know. But I mean, the editing, I kind of got that down pat. It's just a matter of how much bullshit that I have to cut. <laughs> I'm scared of this one because we haven't done this in like three months. We usually like drink a beer while we're recording to loosen up. I've got like three cans over here, man. I'm going strong. Jesse's got the nerves going on. But this one... This is, in a sense, a departure because we've made it a point, for better or worse, that a lot of the stuff we cover, it's stuff we're attached to one way or another. Like, we already know it. We know we like this. Or we know there's a good reason to cover this. Well, it's because the podcast's been a passion project. So why not do things that we're passionate about? 
Yeah. And this one, we didn't go in blind, but we've got, this is this episode. We've gone in the most blind we've gone on any of the episodes. I mean, I've been a horror fan most of my life. And I remember like, even when I worked at movie theater, I was like 15 and like all the 30 year old guys, like the projectionists and stuff that I used to hang out with. Yeah. And they would always, you know, talk about horror movies and reanimator, reanimator, just cramming it down my throat all the time. And I'm like, I've never seen it. When I saw Frighteners with them at that movie theater, when we all worked there and screened it, you know, they're like, oh, it's Jeffrey Combs from Reanimated. I'm like, I got to see this movie. <laughs> Never watched it until this episode. <laughs> Mine is the same. I know, I remember stuff in pictures and I know for a fact this was on the quote unquote Jesus tapes, but I don't know if I just never watched it or it was recorded over. Never watched it as a kid. Watching these, I like uh, Jeffrey Combs' character in the Frighteners more now. Yeah. Because I feel like I understand where that came from and it felt so removed and over the top and just awkward in the movie. But now I'm like, no, I get it. I totally get it now and I'm okay with it. (laughs) Speaking of Frighteners, it makes me think of Peter Jackson, which makes you think of Dead Alive. And I take away some of his cool points for Dead Alive after watching the first Reanimator. Agreed. I feel like he was very heavily influenced by the Reanimator movie. Damn right. I was waiting for the needle to go up somebody's nose. I know, I know. And <laughs> clearly he's a fan because he had Jeffrey Combs and Frighteners, right? Yeah. So, I mean, like, he still did his own thing. I'm not trying to take anything away from Peter Jackson, but I was just thinking, like, how revolutionary it was. And then you're like, oh, it's Reanimator, like, a lot. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if anybody was listening to that episode and they're like, these guys have not seen Reanimator. <laughs> <laughs> It has always been on the list. I've always been like a Lovecraft fan. I've read lots of the short stories. I play lots of the board games and the video games. And like I'm into the mythology and stuff, but I just never dipped into Reanimator because I had always heard that even HP Lovecraft didn't like Reanimator. Yeah. He wrote it because they're like, we'll give you $5 per installment to write us a <laughs> short story. And he just like fucking shat it out real quick, right? Yep. Oh, that reminds me. I got the audiobook because I wanted to listen to the audiobook as well as, as watch the movies. Okay. And it's like an hour 15 or something, but it was read by Jeffrey Combs. It was fucking fantastic. Oh, no shit. They're nothing alike. Yeah, that's that's what I what I heard from my research. So the book is from Dan's point of view, but Dan doesn't have a name. Yeah. He's just... Uh, Herbert West assistant that he met in medical school that helps him with his assignments. The movie's also, the book's also in like the 1920s. Yeah. Very Frankenstein-esque in its own way. They're like grave robbing a lot, which that that was the only throwback I saw in Reanimator 3 that I even fucking like. They reference back (laughs) to the books. But like the first movie is like the part of the first half of the book. Yeah. And then the second half of the book, they're in World War I for part of it and doing experiments, which they did the Peruvian Civil War. Yep. In in the movie, but like for the most part, like Herbert West, he's got his reagent. He's trying to reanimate corpses and he just can't get over. They're not fresh enough. (laughs) The Dean was in the book. Okay. But there's like no daughter, like Meg's not a thing. And they experiment on him and he like gets out and kills a bunch of people and shit. Like it's pretty dark, but okay. I don't know. It was good read. It was, I don't know if I would have enjoyed it as much if it wasn't Jeffrey Combs reading the fucking book to me though. <laughs> it's kind of like Ready Player One. I like the book, but like Will Wheaton reading you the book, like just adds <laughs> so many fucking points to it. Is that better than the movie? Oh, the book's a lot better than the movie. It is. Like I'd read it twice before the movie came out and I feel like I enjoyed the movie more because I had read the book. Okay. The problem with that movie was Steven Spielberg, there's no way he could have got the fucking rights to everything that's in the book. So he oh. had to do anything that Amblin had rights over and then like blizzard you know made deals with them so it's like yeah. lots of overwatch and world of warcraft 
But in the movie, you have like, you know, fucking Ghostbusters, Star Wars, Voltron, Gundam, like just all this crazy shit in there. But it's really funny because in the Oasis, in the virtual world, Will Wheaton's the president in the book. Oh, really? And when he reads that line out, like he says it like laughing because, he's, you know, it's kind of funny because he's, <laughs> he's reading it and he was president in it. But I love H.P. Lovecraft. I have always heard from from horror fans that I trust their opinion on that you got to see this movie and somehow never fucking did it. And when we needed to pick like a three movie franchise for timing sake, because this episode was actually supposed to be pre-recorded before the baby. Yep, we didn't make it to this one. We didn't make it. So we picked it specifically for that. And so that way, you know, like when we ended up knowing it was going to be the first one to record after our break that you guys didn't really get to be a part of, we're like, hey, it'd be something new that we're not like super attached to. There's only three of them. It should be fun. And for the most part, it was fun. Yeah. For me, there's some parallels between this and Poltergeist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if we're going to say a parallel, I fucking like Poltergeist three more than I like Beyond Reanimator. Totally. Yeah, and that's bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> the best part of these movies, though, hands out Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. Well, like, he, he embraced it and, and did what he fucking, I don't know, he just made Herbert West his character. Yeah. In the same way that Bruce Campbell is Ashley Williams. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of parallels in that to me. Definitely. But I guess we should go ahead and jump into the movies. We've rambled enough. Holy freaking God. So, uh, 1985 is when the first reanimator came out. Jeffrey Combs is starring as Herbert West, and I'll introduce some of the other characters as we come into it, but the movie was directed by Stuart Gordon, and of course originally written by H.P. Lovecraft, but the screenplay was written by Dennis Paoli, and they did a lot of Lovecraftian movies. Yeah. Like they did From Beyond, and I think they did Dagon. There's a couple other ones, and through this trilogy, you'll see a lot of these people like work together on different things like uh, Halloween three season of the witch. I saw some like crossover for warlock, which I yep. fucking love that movie. And um, like I said earlier, it's loosely based off the short stories by HP Lovecraft. They changed some shit, but the, the general thing of he's made a reagent and he's testing it on animals and then people and the bodies just aren't fresh enough is like the, that's the story, right? Yeah. Like they stuck to the heart of that. But Stuart and Dennis, when they came up with the idea of the movie, they were watching horror movies together because they were buddies. And they were sick of seeing fucking vampire and Dracula movies, which is funny because this was the 80s and them doing that. And like we've done that in the 90s. We did it in the early 2000s. Like it's just yeah. apparently there's always too many vampire movies. <laughs> there is. <laughs> but they're like, let's make a fucking Frankenstein parody. Right. And I think it was Dennis said to Stuart. Well, we could do the reanimator by H.P. Lovecraft. And he's like, H.P., what the fuck? (laughs) You know what I mean? And he made him read it. And he's like, okay, we'll do this. And they actually plan to be faithful to the book. And then it just happened. Like, I mean, I I haven't made a movie yet, but (laughs) we'll see what happens when, when, when we get there. A couple interesting facts, though. Like, they used 24 gallons of blood in this film. Yeah. The special effects guy, which I wish I would have wrote his name down, but it didn't look like he had done lots of, you know, anything big or anything. It wasn't part of any big shops, but he was quoted saying he had never used more than two gallons of blood in a movie before. Yeah. So 24 gallons is a lot. I can't, what movie did we cover where they used like 300 gallons or something stupid? I know, uh, evil dead two. There's a ridiculous amount that's been cited that they were actually getting it in 55 gallon drums. Maybe that was it. I'm pretty sure it was that. And there was actually a really large amount in Nightmare on Elm Street for the bed scene and the gimbal that ended up like frying all the lights and everything. (laughs) That was a copious amount of blood, too. I can't wait to do that franchise. But if we cut to the movie, 
It opens up in Zurich. We see a nurse pacing the hallway like she's freaking out and she's waiting on people. We see police coming in and I'm assuming the other guy is kind of like the dean or the head of the building, right? Yeah. And uh, she's like, you know, we got to get in there and you can hear some screaming coming through the door. And it says Dr. Hans Gruber. <laughs> and we're not talking about fucking Ellen Rickman from Die Hard here. It's a coincidence, I guess, that they use the same name three years apart. Yeah. But there's a doctor and they're like, Hair Gruber, you know, and they're like, Hair West. And they're beating on the door and they bust the door open and you see Gruber's body on the ground and Dr. West, which we're now introduced to with this fucking syringe with this glowing green serum over the body. And, and the police just grab him, yank him off the body, right? And the nurse tries to check on Gruber. And then he stands up and he starts screaming and there's blood that's way too red, but it's still cool looking, <laughs> running down his face, out of his mouth, and his eyes start to swell and they just kind of fucking pop and blood goes everywhere, right? And, yep. um, and the police are like, he's dead, he's dead. And Wes just, like, this is the thing, he just so deadpan delivers every line. He's like, of course he's dead. The dose was too large. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. are you a fucking idiot? You know? <laughs> and the nurse says to Wes, you killed him. And he's like, I did not. I gave him life. But we time skip to Miskatonic Medical School in fictional Arkham, Massachusetts, which is, you know, Arkham's where most of the Lovecraft, if not all of it, takes place. Yeah. And uh, we're introduced to Dan, who is the narrator of the book, but he has no name in the book. And he's trying to revive a patient with chest compressions, and she's dead already. And, and there's like, a, I guess it's the doctor that's trading them. And she's like, you got to stop. You got to stop. And he's like, I can save her. And he can't save her. <laughs> and she's like, a good doctor knows when to give up. And this comes into play later in the movie. But it kind of gives you a little, you know, feel of Dan's character, right? Yeah, she's also, I forget the actress's name, but she's also in uh, From Beyond. Okay, so I haven't seen From Beyond. I actually almost tacked From Beyond onto this episode since we usually do four movies. Yeah. Because it's made by uh, Stuart and Dennis again. But I was like, there's so many other Lovecraft movies that I want to do. I want to do a Lovecraft episode. Well, I, in in my reading, I kept seeing it referenced a bunch. So when somebody told me they were running a little late today, I watched a review of it. <laughs> <laughs> and they showed a lot of a lot of clips from the movie. Meg's and, in it, uh, too. Yeah. Yeah. Because her and the other doctor are actually button heads. Their characters are in the movie. But oh, okay. There's an interesting thing in that that I'll come back to in the third movie. Okay. That I was like, oh, wow. But it looks like I really want to watch it because it feels like it takes place in the same universe for sure. It'd be fun to do like that and in the mouth of madness and like any other. Exactly. Fucking, just do know. the Lovecraft ones. Sorry. No, you're fine. So Dan has to take the body of the patient that he failed to save down to the morgue. And we're introduced to Dr. Hill at this point and Dean Halsey. Right. Yep. And Dan is introduced to West at this point, who's just kind of hiding in the background and being a cocky asshole. Yeah, that's what West does best, right? And we find out that he was researching death with Hans Gruber in Switzerland. <laughs> Apparently, so everybody funny. knows who Hans Gruber is. I just see him falling off the side of the building, and I'm so sorry. My favorite part is I'm a huge Alan Rickman fan, and in my notes... I put Professor Snape because I was so sleep deprived last night when I was writing my notes. I couldn't think of his fucking name and I had to put Professor Snape. Uh, but Wes lets Dr. Hill know how he feels about him immediately. And he, he says his work is plagiarized of Dr. Gruber and, and they call it plagiarism in Europe and that his theories on being brain dead in six to 12 minutes is outdated and archaic. Yep. And Dr. Hill is an ass about it right back at him. But clearly, he's the bad guy of our film, right, at this point? <laughs> he's definitely the asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and he has a terrible toupee 
which is because <laughs> of budgeting concerns, apparently. His toupee looks so bad. Apparently, the guy has hair, and it was too expensive to mimic his hair on dummies later in the film. Yep. So they shaved his fucking head and gave him a shitty toupee so they can reuse the same toupee on the dummies. It's fucking hilarious, but terrible for the guy. Actually, a lot of bad things happen to this guy from making this movie. You know what I mean? Like, his fucking life. We'll get to that. Yeah. This was a life-changing experience for this man. But uh, we see Dan ask the dean for a letter of recommendation. I think it has something to do with a scholarship or something. Yeah. And we can see that the dean is really buddy-buddy with Dan at this point, right? And then we see Dan start posting uh, like a, a postcard on a, on a bulletin board in the hallway saying he needs a roommate. And then he gets, you know, scared by his girlfriend, Meg. She's now introduced to us. And it cuts straight to the banging in the bed. Under a Talking Heads poster, which is kind of funny later in the movie. Yes. Apparently the cast didn't quite get the joke in the, in the beginning from what I was reading. But oh, like, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought it was brilliant. Unless it actually was one of those things that just like somebody liked Talking Heads and put the poster in there. And then after the fact, you oh. put the two together. Who knows? I got it, damn it. <laughs> But uh, they finish banging, and then we see the cat Rufus just fucking fly out of the screen. No cat jumps like this. Okay, but yeah, just, you, you can tell someone just out of frame threw that motherfucker at him. <laughs> and I don't know, somewhere in really cheesy, casual conversation, they mention that she's the dean's daughter, right? Like, it just kind of out of place gets thrown in there. And Dan wants her to move in with him because he can't afford the apartment on his own. And her dad's real old-fashioned, we find out. And he wouldn't let her just move in like that. So no. then he's like, marry me. Right. And she said she can't marry him until he gets his MD, but she'll marry him the day he gets his MD and she'll help him study and get there. Right. So she's just trying to motivate him, make her dad happy at the same time. We get it. Right. Yeah. And she's not an ass. They, they, they look like a couple in love. Yeah. It wasn't like, I want you to be a doctor for your fucking money. It was like, she was trying to like push him and, yeah. and she doesn't, she doesn't need his money. She's got daddy's money. Right. Right. <laughs> but she says daddy a lot. I think West makes fun of her for it too. He's like, Oh yes. Daddy will save us. Maybe. But she's trying to leave clothed and Dan's chasing her around naked. She opens the door and almost. Well, he's, well, he's got the sheet over him. Yeah. Because yeah. he's, yeah. he's acting like a ghost. And uh, when she tries to leave, she walks into Herbert West. He's standing in the doorway and he's standing there with the postcard. And he starts talking, introducing himself, saying he wants the room. You can tell Megan's immediately creeped out by him. Yeah. Rightfully so. He's pretty creepy. <laughs> but West wants a tour. So Dan obliges, takes him around. He wants to know if the place has a basement. Because that's not creepy at all. Yeah. And he sees it, and he's like, I'll take it. And Max <laughs> starts trying to look at Dan, and he's like, mm-mm, uh-uh. And he's pulling out money. And we heard earlier that Dan has money problems, right? So yeah. he's like, you'll n- hardly know I'm here, except for on the first of the month, of course. You know, and he's <laughs> handing him the cash. Yeah, and that's the thing is you see real quickly with his character that he's manipulative. Like, it's subtle, but it's already playing on that real fast, just like it's already playing on Dr. Hill being manipulative. It, it's a very interesting parallel, and I noticed it more the second time I watched the movie for the podcast. He's actually an asshole to Dan, and he manipulates him in terrible fucking ways in this movie. It's, it's like it's like Louis and Lestat. <laughs> <laughs> Meg's very apprehensive to yeah. Dan letting him move in. She starts questioning him, asking him a bunch of questions, which is smart ass answers for, and then she wants to know why he left Switzerland. There was no more I could learn there. Yeah. We cut to class at Miss Catonic University, and we see that Dr. Hill is teaching a class, and Herbert's in the class and annoying him, because Dr. Hill is showing how to, like, you know, fucking cut a scalp open and pull the top off, so it's just like peeling an orange, right? Yeah. I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> it looks a lot harder than peeling an orange. 
But you can tell Herbert's annoyed because he's talking about how the brain is dead in six to 12 minutes, you know, and he's staring straight at Herbert and, and, and he just keeps, I'm going to call him Herbert and West throughout this movie, Okay, but he keeps snapping pencils in half and he's like <laughs> pissing Dr. Hill off. So, but he's like, I think you should get a pen and he ends class early. <laughs> it's just like, it's so ridiculous. And what's he telling me? He's like, I'm going to have a pleasure failing you out. Right. Yeah. Something like that. Wes confronts him in front of all the students and he's like, you know, how can you teach this dribble and blah, blah, blah. And it's so archaic. And it's, I really feel like only Jeffrey Combs could deliver these lines. We cut to dinner at the Halsey residence with Dean Halsey and Dr. Hill Eaton. Cause I think earlier in the movie, they had said something about needing a meet over a fundraiser. Right. And Megan's there. And she's talking about a Dan's going to show up and you hear the doorbell ring and she gets up to go let him in. And Dr. Hill already starts talking about like, Oh, she's grown into an enchanting woman. It's fucking creepy as shit. Like dad should have bitch slapped him right there. Exactly. He is that overt about it. Yeah. And he's going on about it. And, uh, Dan and, and Megan come back and she's like, we're going to go, we're going to study. He's like, you'll study here. And she's like, just kind of staring at him, you know? And, and, and Dan's like, no, we'll be good. I'll have her home in time. And he's like, Oh, it'd be better if you were here and this and that. And, uh, and then he starts to give a creepy ass fucking toast about Megan and how, much her body's matured and it's all very fucked up. Right. Yeah. And Dan just wants to leave and he's like, eh, I'll toast to that. <laughs> he grabs a drink and he drinks it. And, uh, and then he kind of like snaps Megan out of something. It's like she was entranced. Right. Yep. And that's the first little taste we get of this. And I'm going to go into that in more detail in a minute, but then they leave and Dr. Hill starts to talk Dean Halsey into forcing them to break up basically. Right. And we start seeing that he's got like it, it shifts into like a darker tint, right? And it's out of focus and his eyes are sparkling and he's just saying different things and putting words in his head and Dean Halls, he's kind of repeating them back. And that's like the first taste of mind control you get. Yeah. There was actually a scene filmed for the movie that explicitly showed that he has psychic mind control powers and they cut it out. Okay. I don't feel like it was needed though. This is very obvious, like Dracula, Bela Gosi fucking come home with me tonight, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. Cause he definitely felt like he was at the very least hypnotizing people when he would talk to him, when he needed to like that. So I was, I was okay with that. I honestly feel like they didn't know which direction they wanted to go. Cause that was shot. Like he was hypnotizing. Yeah. But the deleted scene, he has psychic powers. And then later in the movie, his laser lobotomy technique. Like, I don't think they knew what the fuck they were doing, <laughs> but it's fun. I'll let it slide. <laughs> But yeah, it, it's very clear that Dr. Hill does not want Dan and Megan together, and he does not like West, and he does not want West in school there. Yep. So it cuts to Dan's house, or I guess it would be Dan and West's house at this point, right? Yeah. And him and Megan are actually studying. He's trying to move on from studying, though. Yeah, and, he is. Uh, she's just talking about how much West creeps her out, right? And he's always hiding in his room or in the basement, and then they realize they haven't seen Rufus, the cat. And, you know, they start making... <laughs> One of them, my playthroughs, I had the movie on like fast speed and the cat noise. <laughs> it's ridiculous in fast speed. But uh, they're trying to track him down through the house and, and Dan and Megan separate and Megan goes into Herbert's room and the fridge is partially open and we see glowing green liquid yep. and a dead cat. Supposedly, that is actually a dead cat in the fridge. Oh, really? That was not a prop for that scene. There's, it's a prop later. Some penny pension motherfuckers. <laughs> I don't how easy is it to just go buy a dead cat? Or I guess you could find one. 20 minutes, I can get you a dead cat. <laughs> what the fuck, Josh? <laughs> Jesus Christ. But while she's examining the cat in the fridge, 
Herbert walks in behind her and he's mad that she's in the room. Right? Yeah, he is. You're not, this is my room, you know? And um, Dan comes in because I guess he hears her scream or something. And he explains how he found the cat that way. And then he came home and he had gotten in the trash and got his head stuck in a jar and suffocated. And he didn't want Dan to find his cat dead like that. And he also didn't want the cat to stink. So he cleaned up the mess, stuck the cat in the fridge. And he was going to tell him later. And with Dan's like, why didn't you just call me or leave me a note? It's like, what would the note say? Cat's dead in the fridge. I was pushing corpses all day. You know what I was doing. There was well, no time to give you a message. Well, he says, for anybody who hasn't seen these movies, one, Jeffrey Combs is just so good in this character. There's no way we can do him justice. But I think he's like, he's like, what is I supposed to do? Leave a note? Your cat's dead. Details to follow. <laughs> I think that's yes, what he says. Yes. <laughs> it's so good. And. There's even a line in this movie that's pretty shit that he hates and he had to deliver and he, he references it back later. I can't wait to get to that one, but he just makes it work. He can deadpan say anything. Yeah. I mean, he still could do it in Frighteners. Yeah. Frighteners is before Beyond Reanimator. Yeah. Cause he couldn't do it in Beyond. <laughs> we'll get to I don't that. think anybody could do anything in Beyond. I almost don't even want to count it. I actually almost dropped Beyond off the episode <laughs> because it was so bad. Anyways. Dan's looking around with everybody in the room, though, and he sees the green liquid in the fridge next to Rufus' corpse. And he wants to know what it is, and Herbert starts going into the, like, this is my room, this is private speech, right? Yeah. So we cut to Dan's bedroom, and he's asleep, and it's nighttime, and he wakes up because he keeps hearing this, like, screeching sound. He fucking gets his Louis Slugger. He's ready to go kick some ass, man. And uh, he's running through the house looking, and he's like, Herbert, Herbert, you know, beating on the door, trying to see if he hears it. And, of course, the noise is coming from the basement. So he goes down there, and this is one of those scenes that there are only two people that I know of in Hollywood that could have done it. Jeffrey Combs and Bruce fucking Campbell. You're goddamn right. <laughs> He's running around with this clearly stuffed animal cat on his back. Like, oh, God damn, like it's attacking him, you know, and he's he fucking does it perfect. Like Bruce Campbell might have could have done it better, yeah. but like it's close. You know what I mean? It, it's, yeah. it's on par, but he's got scratch marks on him and he's bleeding. And and I guess Dan doesn't realize it's Rufus yet. And he fucking I don't remember if he slings the cat off or it jumps, but it's like running around. And uh, Herbert picks up like a croquet mallet. And of course, Dan has his fucking baseball bat. Yeah. And they're just like swinging at this black blur that's moved around at the wall and they're throwing shit at it. And they can't hit it. And I think it's finally Dan gets it and throws it in the wall and smushes it. And then he figures out it's Rufus, right? Yeah. This also sets the tone in the movie where up until this point, you can go any direction. And right now you've got to realize this is a dark comedy to be along for the rest of the ride. Yeah. 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 It takes the turn. But uh, Dan figures out it's Rufus. And then he got brought back from the dead. And Wes just starts crazy laughing. Like it's actually a really good like bad guy laugh. Yeah. But uh, he explains that he has a reagent that he invented. That can reanimate fresh corpses. And he said he beat the six to 12 minute barrier and he's conquered brain death. <laughs> Wes says he needs Dan to help him with his experiments. And this is part of Wes manipulating. He's like, you can get me in and out of places, you know, this and that. Yep. Just think of, you know, what we'll do, you know, the we, right? Herbert West. <laughs> but Dan's trying to not believe him. And, you know, he's trying to like rationalize that he wasn't really dead. You gave him a chemical to knock him out, to trick us and this and that. And uh, he's like, do you agree that he's dead now? And he's like <laughs> flopping the body down and it's like got guts hanging out. And, uh, and Dan's like, well, yeah, well, he takes the syringe and he fucking shoots him up with the reagent. And I want to say this reagent, I was trying to figure out how they got that cool green glowing effect. And then I, when I found out what they did, it's so fucking simple. I was mad at it and figured it out. 
They got glow sticks and broke, you know, popped them to make them glow and then cut them open and just poured the juice out. Yep. So it's literally just glow stick juice. And they like to say it's the first film to ever use them as an effect. First one I saw, goddammit. No. But yeah, when he injects them, Rufus comes back to life. Whatever you would call that. He's, he's like dismembered partially. But he's like just screeching and flopping around on the table. And Dan believes him at this point. Yeah, because Wes is all like, well, it does have a broken back. <laughs> And then Megan busts in the room and she sees Rufus and she starts freaking the fuck out. And she says that she's been trying to call Dan on day because she was terrified because she found out that Dr. Gruber died in Switzerland with West in the room and they found him doing terrible things to his body. Right. And she yep. wants to protect Dan. And uh, Dan's trying to explain that, no, 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 he's a genius. He's conquered death. We got to get him to meet your father. Right. And because she, she's trying to do it as like a thread. I'm going to tell my dad. And they're like, yes, yes, get your dad. Yeah. We cut to the next day and Dan has his meeting with Dean Halsey and Dean Halsey's like being very harsh to him and just very quick and short. He's just writing and ignoring him. And he's like, I'm going to cancel your scholarship. If you keep seeing my daughter, West is kicked out of school, yada, yada. He's fucking their lives up. And clearly this is Dr. Hill's control is set in at this point. Right? Yeah. As we've seen several times in the movie, Dan doesn't have a whole lot of money. He needs the scholarship. He wants to finish school. Meg won't marry him unless he finishes school, right? Yeah. So he just kind of like storms out of the office because every time he says something, the dean just fucking shuts him up, right? Yeah. And then he bumps into Meg in the hallway and they get into it because she's like, I don't like Wes. You got to stay as far away from him as you can. I'll talk to daddy. And does her pop up in the background? He's like, yes, yes. <laughs> daddy will save us. He does. Something. He like pops right around the corner. It's so good. He does that a lot. And and they're like, well, we'll just show the Dean proof the reagent works. And he has to like back us at this point, right? Yeah. So they have to sneak into the morgue. And interestingly enough, apparently Jeffrey Combs really wanted his shoes on in that morgue room walking around. He didn't want to be barefooted. Because in the scene, Dan wheels Herbert on a gurney like he's a corpse. Yeah. And he goes to the security guard who gets up and leaves a lot in the movie. And apparently the backstory, the head cannon that the writer and director had is he's going to jerk off in the bathroom a lot. Well, cause he has a spank mag later in the movie. Yeah. He's got a porno mag later in the movie. And I think one of the times when you see it and he walks away, he says something like time for some personal time or something yeah. like that. <laughs> it's strongly insinuated, but Dan brings the corpse down and you just see the feet hanging out and he's like, is my lunch under there? He's trying to be funny, you know? And like, you can see when they lift the blanket for a second that it's Herbert sitting there. Yeah. But he, he didn't want to be barefoot in that room. And they're like, it'll take too long. And he's like, I can tie my shoes pretty quick. And he does, dude. He fucking blazes through those things. Because okay. they yank the blanket off, and Dan says, put your shoes on. And it's kind of out of place. It was just because Jeffrey Combs didn't want to not have his shoes on. So then he throws the socks out, he ties really quick, and it gets off. And it's kind of neat when you know that. Yeah. That, after the see, I read about that, but didn't understand what scene it was referencing. So now it all makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but they're looking around at all the different bodies. And I really wish I would have wrote the things that he says. Like, oh, it's meatloaf. <laughs> Kill because he needs fresh bodies, right? Which as fresh as they sound like they need to be in the book, like I don't even know why you'd go to a morgue. Like you, you need to be there when they drop dead. Oh, okay, they actually try that in the book. Okay, like there's a underground boxing match, and they're like the town doctors. They'll get called in. Yeah, it's a poor town to like, go help people, and one of the boxers got hit too hard, and he's like dying. Like oh, Herbert's like can't save him. <laughs> That's as fresh as corpse right there, but um. They're going through and they're looking and they find this one big, big muscly guy's body, right? And he's like, it's almost the perfect body. It's actually Arnold Schwarzenegger's stunt double from 14 films, including The Terminator. No shit. And if you see it, like I read that after I watched it the first time. And when I watched it the second time, like when you see him like laying there, I'm like, yeah, that could be Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, if you weren't <laughs> looking at the face, like it just easily passed for him. 
So like the the naked from behind Schwarzenegger? I don't know about that. Because <laughs> there's a lot yeah. of ass shown in this movie, I'm just saying. But Arnold Schwarzenegger was a bodybuilder before he's an actor. Oh, yeah. So it was probably his ass yeah, yeah, in yeah. Terminator. Yeah, I agree. I just, I wanted to bring up there's a lot of ass in this movie. <laughs> a lot of a lot, ass. A lot of ass, a lot of penis. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of boobies. A lot of boobies. Boobies pop up quite a bit. But they inject the fluid in, is it into the brain or the spinal column? I can't remember. It's into the the base of the brain. The base of the brain. So they inject the reagent into him, and they're waiting and waiting for him to get up, and nothing's happening. So West, with his, you know, unlimited patience, decides to just give him a second dose. What yeah. could go wrong? And he's got Dan with the tape recorder making notes of the yeah. experiment. Yeah, because he's like, this will prove it. And I'm like, it's an audio recording. What the fuck is that going to prove? I know. But anyways, uh, the body starts to reanimate, and it sets up, and it, it's very violent, just like we've seen with some of the animals and Dr. Gruber, and it's bleeding from the mouth and like other orifices again. And they chose poorly. Yeah, no. <laughs> pick the skinny guy that can't pick you up and throw you across the room, right? But uh, while it's violently chucking them across the room and flipping furniture over, West yells something at it and it stops to listen to him. So later in the movie, West has it in his head that, like, it understands me, you know, and things yeah. like that. But at this point in time, Dean Halsey. It's been cutting between him walking through the hospital trying to find Dan because he's not supposed to be allowed to do his job right now. Yeah. And so he shouldn't be at work. But Dean Halsey shows up and he starts beating on the locked door and the fucking corpse runs the door and just fucking knocks it off the hinges and jumps on it with the Dean under it, which the first time I saw it, I thought that was going to kill him. But it's kind of funny because then he just picks him up like uh, like yeah, a rag doll. I thought he was dead. And just beats wholesale ass on the Dean all across the room <laughs> and ends up killing him. And then Wes sneaks up behind him with like a bone saw or something and just fucking punches his fist through his back and out and his heart comes out the front. Fatality. That was a cool shot. There, there's some of the effects in this first one that I hate, but that was, a, that was a really cool shot. So I don't hate any of the effects, but the quality was not always there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, what I was getting at. Like the, the cat on the table when it's in the basement, like once it's actually dead and like it's this obvious glued on eye hanging off the side and stuff like some of it, but it's okay. It's okay. It's just, it's rough around the edges. They do a good job of the decapitated head later in the movie. Yes. Like the talking head. This comes up a lot in the book where Wes is like, the, the flesh was not fresh enough. You know, that was the problem. That's why it was so violent. And uh, he's like looking at Dan, why don't we just use Dean Halsey's body? Which Dan seems appalled by it at first, but then he's thinking it's his girlfriend's dad. So if they could save him, it's not a bad idea. Yeah. So they inject him with the reagent and he wakes up and Wes is trying to speak to him and then he attacks him because he's violent once again. And Meg comes in and sees the dad, but they're yelling at him and, and he just goes and he hides in a corner under a coat and he's yeah. like shivering and he's semi talking. So he is more alive than Arnold Schwarzenegger stunt double was earlier. <laughs> but the, I think the police come in at this point. And they're like, oh, the Dean came in and he was real irrational and he's angry with us and he attacked us. Yeah. And uh, and they're like, what's up with that body? And he's like, he attacked the corpse <laughs> something, you know. So they blame it all on the Dean. Yeah. And Dan's like deer in the headlights trying to decide whether or not to play along. That's why I brought this up because then uh, Wes actually takes the tape recorder and he's like telling the security officers like this is what's going on and slides it into Dan's pocket. Like, don't you say anything, motherfucker. I got you by the balls. You're, you've been recorded through this whole thing. I did not even catch that. Yeah, he is so manipulative, man. It's, it's scary. It's hard to root for him. He is definitely the antihero. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Wes doesn't, you know, think about the repercussions of any of the actions he's done. Oh, God, no. <laughs> 
he uh, he's just like, oh, it had conscience. It recognized its daughter, right? So he's had a breakthrough. Dan, however, is like on the ground, shaken, traumatized. He's like, you're just in shock. You'll get over it. Yeah. <laughs> he's not a good friend. And see, and that's the thing about about Wes is like, like being the antihero. It's like you almost feel sorry for him. Like he doesn't connect the dots in his head. He's just like, I've created this. I must perfect it. Yeah. And like nothing else matters. I have no conscience, no remorse, but I'm not, you know what I mean? It's like, not like he's doing it on purpose. He's just goal oriented. Like (laughs) it's a lie. It's a parody of Frankenstein. It was supposed to be a parody of Frankenstein. Exactly. But while West is trying to, you know, give this awesome pep talk to his buddy, who's, you know, spazzing on the floor. West himself begins to start spazzing out. And he races to his room. Well, Dan gets up, chase him in there to see what's going on. And he's trying to inject himself with the reagent. And he's like, what are you doing? He's like, it's just the low dose that makes it where I don't have to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Which is this, kinda, is this is back at the house. Yeah. yeah. Okay. This, sorry, this whole time with him like uh, in shock on the floor shaking was at the house, right? Yeah. And he can't get the needle in and Dan has to help him. So he's actually injecting himself with this shit so he doesn't have to sleep anymore. And, he, you know, he, he injects it and he immediately stands up and he's like, I'm ready to get to work. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like Adderall. <laughs> that's, that's what the, this is what this boils down to is Adderall. You kids do not inject yourself with glow sticks. No. Public service announcement from Josh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think at this point we're cutting back and forth between like, Dr. Hill and Megan and what's going on with Wes and Dan. But uh, the Dean's locked in a padded room and fucking beating his head on the wall and shit. It was actually like a temporary fake room they set up and it kept falling over and they had to keep redoing the scenes. Yeah, because it's like in Dr. Hill's office. It's really yeah. weird. <laughs> but um, he, he convinces Meg with that, you know, little twinkle eyes guy <laughs> that uh, he, he needs to do some experience. Like Santa Claus? <laughs> yeah. But evil as fuck. Uh, he needs to do some experimental exploratory surgery. Yeah. To figure out the neuro, the neurological issue that he's having, right? Yeah. And then maybe then he can cure it. And she agrees to it. I don't know if she actually agreed to it or if he made her agree to it, but no. she agrees to it. And he ends up lobotomizing him, right? Which is not what Meg knew was happening. And he discovers that he's actually dead and been reanimated. So he knows West had to have done it because he's studying death with Hans Gruber. Yep. But Hill then shows up at West's basement because I want to say Dan left and went to Meg's house because he wanted to check on her. Yes. Because of her dad, right? Because Dan's not here at this point. And uh, he's threatening to rat out West. He's like, the authorities will want to know what you did and this and that. And he actually mind controls West at this point. I think it would have been cool if, like, the reagent protected West from his powers. Like, if they would have gone deeper into that, that yeah. would have been kind of neat, like, the old one. Because I'm assuming there's, I don't know, like, it's H.P. Lovecraft, so you got, like, the the old ones and this and that. But the movie is so, like, far from the book that I don't know how much of it was them just cramming shit in a movie. Yeah. And how much of it was trying to fit in with the lore. So I'll just stay away from <laughs> before I go too deep down that rabbit hole. But uh, he tells West after he mind controls him to hand over all your notes and your serum. And you can see West is crying. Like there's tears running down his face. But yeah. He has to do it. Right. And that lets you know that it's more than like hypnotism at that point. But he's like, you're a genius, West. When he's looking at the notes, he's like, you'll be my assistant and we'll wait a year. And then we'll release how I've conquered death, you know. And he's just thinking all about him. And uh, and he's like, but I'm going to need you to get rid of Dan. Because yep. obviously he wants Megan. Right. Because very creepy. Somehow, though, Wes snaps out of it, picks up a shovel as he talks Dr. Hill into looking at a slide in the microscope, 
knocks him the fuck over and chops his goddamn head off with the shovel. Yeah, he like he like digs digs yeah. his head off. <laughs> and <laughs> so uh, describe it. the cinematography is cool. Like how you see the shovel come down and stuff too. Yeah, but then he injects the body and the head separately. <laughs> That's the thing. Man. It's like as shit goes wrong, it's like another corpse got injected. <laughs> I know. I know. Why? I mean. Was he trying to see if the body parts would work independently? And why not just do the head if yeah. you want to talk to him? I know. And then how's the brain controlling the body? Don't get me started. Psychic link. Oh, my God. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but he, he's talking to the head and trying to take notes, right? Like, And while he's doing that, Dr. Hill's body sneaks up behind West and knocks him the fuck out. Yeah. As this is happening, though, Megan and Dan are talking, and Dan tells Megan what happened and about how they, like, ejected him and brought him back to life, and they're, I don't remember how they end up in Dr. Hill's office, but they find, like, a folder, and he's got all these clippings on Megan. He's got some of her hair. Yeah. He's cut off from her sleep. Full-blown creeper. And, and they figure that out, that he's, like, stalking her and obsessed, and like Josh said earlier... The dean is in like a padded room in the office, right? So they're looking at that, and she's like, "What's that hole in his head?" And he's like, "Oh, it's a laser score. He's been lobotomized, right?" Yeah. So I mean, I was just kind of thrown in there. It's <laughs> a lot of shit just thrown in this movie. But Wes wakes up in the basement because it's cutting back and forth, and he realizes notes are gone and his serum. And this part, Dan shows up at some point, and he's explaining it, and he's like, "He took all of my serum." Except what's in my room. And Jeffrey Combs says it's like his least favorite line. He goes, no one can deliver that line. <laughs> but um, Oh, he's so good. Dan says something about the lobotomy to control him. I don't really know how they jump to that conclusion yet at that point. Yeah. But Somewhere in the movie, Hill flat out says it, but I don't think that's happened yet. Yeah, because I think it's later when he says his special laser drill lobotomy is what makes him docile enough. Well, it's the monologuing at the end. Yeah, but well, there's the... I think the guy earlier in the class, when he's doing the skull peel thing, I think he's the one that it shows the shot of him yeah. sticking the Q-tip down. So maybe we're led to believe that this is something he's already been researching on his own and he put two and two together once he got the notes. Yeah. I don't know. Who, who fucking knows? This movie's <laughs> all over the place sometimes. Uh, Especially the third act. All three of them. Once the third act hits, <laughs> it's all over the place. I let it slide in this one. But Hill's body, I don't remember where the fuck he's at, his office. The body carries the head in, sets it down in like a Petri dish, pours like an IV bag of blood in there, which yeah, he yeah. Like drinks it, up and injects him with some serum, right? Yeah, it's back in his office. For some reason, he's got bags of blood in his, in his office refrigerator. But we cut back and Dan and Herbert are at their house waiting on Hill to attack. Like they got some of the windows covered and Dan's got his baseball bat because they're going to kick some ass and West doesn't think he'll come, right? Yeah. And then Dan's like, oh shit, he's going to go for Meg. So then he leaves to go save Meg. Yep. Meanwhile, Hill is uh, talking to Dean and he gives him some sort of orders that we see like off screen. Like we see him start to film something and it fades out. And then we see Dr. Hill's body walking with this like dummy head. And it's not like a dummy's head. It's like one of those little sculptures where like it's a face on half of it and like the anatomy of the brain that you teach a class with. <laughs> and he's got it on the neck, but the head's in a duffel bag. It's fucking ridiculous and awesome at the same time. It is, man. And uh, he's trying to sneak by the guard, and he has to turn sideways, so he sees the side of the dummy that's a face and not a brain. And the guard's like, is that you, Dr. Hill? And the fucking head starts talking on the bag, and he's got his, like, fucking porno bag, and he's like, well, I gotta go on break. Yeah. <laughs> he gets up and leaves. It's a little more obvious that time. Yeah, that's that's the one where I think he says, Tom, 
Like he's walking away. He's like, time for some personal time. Or no, he looks at the clock and he goes, I need a break. Or it's time for my break. <laughs> then he walks off with the magazine. So, But yeah, the head, it's so nuts, man. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. And it comes oh. back up again in a minute. But Dan and Meg are talking at the Halsey residence. And then uh, mind control Dean Halsey. I think he like breaks down the door and he attacks him and knocks out Dan, right? Yeah. And takes Meg. He brings Meg to the morgue where Dr. Hill's body is doing experiments on other corpses there. And Dean Halsey strips his own daughter nude, like fucking boobs, bush, whole things out on display. Yeah, shit takes a dark turn. <laughs> yeah. Straps her down, and Meg wakes up naked, and the first thing she sees is the dummy staring at her. And I'm, I think she knocks the head off. Because, like, like, there's hands filling on her breast, right? And she wakes up screaming at this head and knocks the head off because she's not completely strapped down yet. Yeah. And she figures out it's a decapitated body and sees the head talking next to her, right? And it's Dr. Hill. The body picks the head up, and he starts, like, licking on her boobs. And he goes down, like, in between her legs to uh, go down on her. Yep. Apparently, the actor's wife stormed out of the room when she saw the scene being screened. And left him shortly thereafter and incited because of the scene. So he shaved his head, lost his wife. Whole life changed from this movie. Yep. I do want to point out, though, it was not his hands that were doing the groping. It was the director. Yeah. So I wonder if he tried to win that argument with the wife. It's like, look, I was, I was just the head hanging out. A little kissy, a <laughs> little licky, but, you know, for the good of the film. But uh, <laughs> but that's fu- that is really fucked up. Like, I, I, what kind of roles did he do before married to her? Like, what? Was this like the ninth time and she had enough? I'm fascinated by this inside story, I have to say. <laughs> Look up his IMDb later, too. Kind of said maybe he was a theater actor and there was no carpet munching. I mean, theater, was, this, you know? was, was he pigeonholed? Like, is he, is he really rapey? And like, this, this is all the shit. I'm this is pure spitball in here. I have no idea. But anyway, it all makes sense. <laughs> um, but fortunately for Meg, West interrupts Dr. Hill from the soon to be rape, right? Yeah. Wes pops out of the shadows again. He's like, I'm very disappointed in you. And then he delivers his best fucking line out of the entire movie franchise. You'll never get credit for my discovery. Who's going to believe a talking head? Get a job in a sideshow. Interesting fact here with the line, though. Combs is always mad because people always start laughing at the talking head part. Right? Yeah. But his favorite part's the get a job in a sideshow and nobody ever makes it to it because they're already laughing. And he just thinks it's the better part of the line and it got overshadowed. Okay. I love the whole thing. I call it start to finish. So. Yeah. Anyways, Weston Hill start monologuing like bad guys often do, right? And Dan's sneaking in the back. And it is not. <laughs> he is not fucking ninja here. Okay? He's not. <laughs> and Wes is like, and I have a plan. And then Dr. Hill's like, I also have a plan, and this part was cool. All the body bags in the room set up. Right? Yeah, so that he, part was awesome. So he's reanimated all the corpses. I think they all have the laser scorch mark right yep. on their foreheads, and they're all under his control. Uh, the trio gets overpowered, and Hill starts explaining to Wes that his laser lobotomy technique gives him total control over the human mind, which why the fuck did they have the hypnotized, and then why did they have the psychic storyline earlier? Who fucking knows? Um <laughs> But the reanimated corpses are about to lobotomize West because they're strapping her down. They got the laser. And Meg starts talking to her dad and just, like, snaps him kind of out of it. Yeah. And he listens to her, and he starts trying to protect her and, like, knocking the other reanimated corpses around. And the dean frees Herbert and takes Hill's head and starts to crush it, 
But when he's doing it, like the reanimated corpses are reacting, like it's hurting them physically as well. And West catches on to this, right? Yep. So he gets an idea. He grabs two syringes of the serum and he yells, overdose. <laughs> <laughs> he straight up does it. And he injects Hill, right? Is it just the body or is it the body? In the, it's just the body, I think. I think so. And the Dean chunks the head. And it pops on the wall, just explodes everywhere as the guard runs by. And he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> and he's got a spank mag in hand still. <laughs> I didn't catch that. And there's, I think it was this scene. I guess they used like a cow brain and they threw it against a wall okay. for the scene. And like everybody off camera has like fucking bags and shit over them. Hold on. Cause they didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> so poor guard though was standing right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but his body begins to start busting open and his organs are popping out and all of his intestines come out. And I've never seen this before in a movie. Oh, wait, fucking Peter Jackson <laughs> did it in Dead Alive. This is just another, like the, the vibe of the movie felt like Dead Alive. Yeah. And then the organs are fighting Herbert and I'm like, this is fucking Dead Alive, you know? Yep. But the intestines start fighting Herbert <laughs> and Dan and Meg are trying to escape while Meg's dad holds off all the reanimated corpses. But West is left to fight the organs and he starts yelling, save my work to Dan. So Dan picks up West Satchel, right? Yeah. And him and Meg make it out and they run to an elevator and the burned corpse we saw earlier bust in and starts strangling Meg to death. So Dan runs out, gets a fire axe and he straight up fucking axe murders the fucking corpse into the ground. <laughs> they just die like a, a person, I guess. Like yeah. what's a reanimated. And she seems to be dying. So he rushes her down to the ER because you got to think they're still in a hospital. They're just in the class. Like the the university section, yeah. right? And um, we see the same doctor from the beginning, and he throws her up on the table, and he's trying to defibrillate her and give her chest compressions and save her. And that same doctor just looks at him and like shakes her head no, but this time sad. She's not mean about it, right? Yeah. And he begins to mourn her death, and we hear the music start to cue, which is the uh, psycho esque music, yeah. right? And um, he pulls some of West serum out of his bag, and he injects Meg. The screen fades to black, and we hear her scream in the background. The end. I, I do want to point out real quick, when the screen fades to black, you can still see the serum, though. It's like animated over it, and you see it disappear as it injects in the darkness. I love how they did that. And Peter Jackson, the opening of uh, Dead Alive, seeing Gaia, and then we get the one chop, and then the animated blood on the screen. Yeah. and. It, it so made me think of a, a reverse of that. There's so many nuance things in this that totally you could tell Peter Jackson pulled from. Yeah. But I mean, it's a fun movie. It is. I regret not seeing it in its time, but I still enjoyed it in this time. Um, I do feel like it was very original. Jeffrey Combs was original because we didn't have Goofy Ash yet either, right? Yeah. Because that was 87. Right? Free, Free Evil Dead, Dead 2. 2. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, he's just a normal, like, dude in the first one, right? For the most part, Ashes. Yeah. So it was really, like, a unique character. Uh, everything was original on it. I don't know how much Lovecraft work had been made into film at this point. I have no idea. Because in my limited knowledge of Lovecraft stuff, it's either sparse, like this source material is, or so out there, like, going interdimensional and all that shit that you got to... We're just now in this <laughs> this year, you know, getting into where if somebody took the time and money to build that universe to actually do page for page, shot for shot, Lovecraft stuff, to my understanding from reading like the big stuff like Cthulhu and going off in that right. direction. 
We might see that, though. At Comic-Con this weekend, they announced all the Marvel movies coming up for Phase 4, and one of them is Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, and apparently he's fighting the old ones in it. So, so there you go. That, that's, that's what it like magic. <laughs> uh, I mean, technically, he fought an old one in the first Doctor Strange, and they did get a horror movie director to do that one. Yeah. But it was still like a superhero movie for the most part. And he just like tricked them and annoyed them, basically, <laughs> right? So I don't know. I don't know. It was a lot of fun. Awesome to finally go back and see. Do not regret that film for this episode. <laughs> no, not at all. And I'm like you, man. If we had watched this back in the day, I I like see it almost on par with Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 if we had seen it at the right time. Right. Um, and I definitely appreciate it. It's going to be a rewatch every year. Probably for me, it probably goes in that list of movies that I watch made every it year. In the rotation. Yeah, made it in the rotation. <laughs> uh, just this one though, not the other two. Like I'm good with just the first one. I say that a lot though. I'm I'm usually good with just the first one. Yeah, but that brings us like every fucking horror movie. There's a sequel to Bride of Reanimator in 1989. So with Bride of Reanimator, of course, we've got a chunk of the principal cast. You know, we've still got Jeffrey Combs, we've still got Bruce Abbott, and we've still got David Gale. Some other people I'm going to introduce as we go along. But uh, on the first watch, this really felt like cash grab, like search for more money. And you know me, I'll watch twice if I have time when we're covering these movies. And I did on this one. And on the second watch, it really felt more like attached to part one. I'm just prefacing this with this. Because by the time you get to 2003, it's... Like I said, I almost cut that one from the episode. (laughs) Uh, I... Felt cash grabby like I do most sequels on this one, but enjoyed it at the same time. I don't know that I can normally say that when I watch a sequel. (laughs) I was like, man, they could have not made this one, but it's fun to fucking watch. You know what I mean? Like, and and that's what it boiled down to. I really like the naming of the film because it's Bride of Reanimator and the original Reanimator was a parody of Frankenstein originally and you had Bride of Frankenstein. So I like how the name played in and the name plays in again nicely yeah. On the third one, that's one of the only good things I can say about it. This is true. But it's a good choice. But yeah, this is kind of follows the second half of the book, mainly the war part that you talked about instead of, what was it in the book? Is World War One? Yes. Where they went. But in this, it's the Peruvian Civil War eight, eight months later. I do want to bring up, there was like four or five special effects companies on this one. One of note being K&B. On the <laughs> there behind, they are again. On the behind the scenes, two things I'm pretty sure K&B did was what I call the finger eye. Which, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, The Bride Herself. Um, but we also had Screaming Mad George, which when I saw it in the credits, I was like, this seems so familiar. And I had to go look. And Screaming Mad George is actually a Japanese guy. I forget his friggin' name. But uh, he did the crypt sequence with all the other creatures. Oh, okay. Yeah, is what he was credited with. But he worked on Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and 4, Jack Frost, the good one, not the Michael Keaton one. Okay. The Stone Age, okay? <laughs> he did the gnarly green eyeball. Don't fear the Reaper, man. <laughs> um, Poltergeist 2, because mm. he worked for that other, anyways. Uh, <laughs> this is the end. Um, Predator, The Abyss, Big Trouble in Little China. I've gone through like a third of this guy's shit. He also did all the effects for the third film. Okay. So, but he probably keeps that off his resume. I can understand. But we... uh we open with Dr. Hill's floating head threatening Wes, just floating in this with this black background. And he ends up saying, you will not escape me this time. Now, thank God for YouTube. I went digging around and I found the behind the scenes footage of a deleted opening for the fucking movie. They could not get 
Barbara Crampton back for Meg. Her uh, agent told her, this is beneath you. It's just a cameo part. Because <laughs> the shit she's done, especially back then, it's like, what's beneath her? Oh, the size of the role was beneath her. Okay, okay. Well, I think she was a very well-established soap opera actress, even I, before Reanimator. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I she mean, was I think on, like, she, Young and the Re- I think she was on, on two of them, okay. like, when I looked at IMDb. And there was some other like non-indie movies I saw on there. So she was probably actually one of the bigger actors in the film. Gotcha. In the first one. But there was this entire opening that was dumped of what happens after she's reanimated at the end of the first film. Great, because I was fucking wondering the whole time. I know, because the way they dump you into the movie just eight months later, Peru. So I'm just going to stick this in here now. Um, so what, what happened is she reanimates. She freaks out. She twists her head around and breaks her own neck. She collapses to the floor. All these doctors come running in. Dan's hovering over her and fucking Wes comes running in. So, you know, last thing we saw was him being drug off by the intestine tentacles into the darkness. He runs in and he refuses to reanimate her again because her neck is broken, which I guess that kind of makes sense when we get later into this movie talking about fusing the brain with the spinal cord. Right. So maybe this was, but at the same time, we go into this whole thing with what exists in all the parts and yada, yada, yada. Well, I mean, in the first one, when they were going through the morgue before they find Arnold Schwarzenegger's stunt double, like he doesn't want the bodies because there's different things wrong with them. Right. So, but it's because the thing is he's not trying to make animated corpses. He is trying to bring a human back to life fully. Yeah. And you can't do that with a broken neck. So I kind of get that. Yeah. But ignoring the deleted opening for whatever reason, which was a different actress, um, and she kind of looked like her. Like normally, they really fuck that up. But at any rate, like uh, uh Evil Dead, <laughs> great example. But we cut to Peru eight months later, and we've got a text overlay that tells us that the guys have been volunteer medics and continuing their experiments. So they're in this tent. You know, it's like a war battlefield tent setup. It and sounds like fucking Rambo's attacking on the outside. Yeah, all hell's breaking loose, but they got these injured soldiers that they can continue to experiment with. And they're like frantically doing this with all this war going on around them. And we get introduced to uh, Francesca, which is a lot of vagina. That's <laughs> I knew I knew her face from somewhere. It's uh, Fabiana Adenio. I'm so sorry if I butchered that. I recognized her from summer school. She's fucking Anna Marie where Chainsaw and the other guy that are like horror movie freaks are like, she's a foreign exchange student, like obsessing over her. So that's what I noticed her from. That's because I fucking love that summer school movie. See, I pull shit from weird directions, but she comes in and she's like freaking out that the the baddies are coming in. They're all going to die. She watches Wes blow this fucking soldier's brains out because he's of no use to him. Yeah, he has the fucking revolver in this movie out of nowhere and he like fucking shoots everything. That's actually derived from the book slightly because okay. they have a banging at their back door and they don't know what it is. The short story is installments, right? And this installment like opens up with them talking about you never need all six shots out of the revolver unless <laughs> your name's Herbert West. Gotcha. And, and he like like Dan opens the door and he just fucking empties the clip into somebody in the book or something. <laughs> but uh, Wes ends up um, grabbing this iguana and he tells Dan that reptiles are the key and they will create new life. <laughs> like, this is just out of nowhere. And the soldiers come in, they attack, Dan gets stabbed and Wes drags him away. And uh, I think he says, let's go home. And we get this fade into the opening credits, which is the same rinse and repeat. The, the same thing with the, the same score and the same animations and shit still looks cool. A lot of this movie's rinse and repeat and nonsensical plot, but fun to watch. It is. And that was my problem with it on the first watch was, God, this is a rinse and repeat 
as far as plot elements go. Um, the bride was really the only change. I don't know, man, it worked so much better the second time. I kind of want to sit, sit down and watch the first two back to back and see how I feel like right there. Back to back. I watched them back to back the first time I watched it, but only watched the second one once since it was your movie. Yeah. So I don't know, like maybe I'll give it a second viewing back to back, but back at the same damn hospital where the massacre happened. Cause that's going to be important later. We see Gloria, the cancer patient. And she, I recognized her face and had to look her up. And to me, I'm like, I go hunting through. And I'm like, oh, she was that main side character chick in fucking renegade. <laughs> Josh says that to me. And I'm like, but she's the sheriff's daughter in Halloween four. Cause she's got like her nipples poking out. She's got that shirt on that says cops do it by the book. You know what I mean? That's what I recognize her from. <laughs> and I didn't, but, uh, the, the duo is treating her. We hear that she's terminally ill and Wes says that she could be useful because she comments about how her head is the only part of her body that doesn't feel sick. And he like looks at her and he's like, you're right. <laughs> Some shit. <laughs> he's still phenomenal in this movie. Yeah. So we get a hard cut to Dr. Graves and Lieutenant Chapin. Chapham. I hate this guy's last name. The Lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> and he's friggin' delivering Hill's head to him. And he actually makes a comment about how he found it at a carnival sideshow. And that was supposedly written and they were going to do the scene of the head being discovered, but all that, they never even shot it. But he asked, uh, Hill asked Graves to see the other remains from the massacre. And they go into the back room and they're commenting because he's talking about how the head isn't decaying and Dr. Graves is showing him in the back room with all these leftover parts from the massacre and none of them look like they've decayed either. And he takes him down to the, oh my God, the crematorium. Crematorium. And there's this ballet dancer who cut off her own feet because she couldn't handle the pressure. And I guess it was supposed to come across as a joke and it, it didn't come across well. <laughs> but it gives the lieutenant a reason to respond, well, where's the feet? And it's like, well, I don't know. It's like someone's been stealing body parts. So it's very ham-fisted setting right. stuff up is what it's doing. We end up cutting back to Wes in the room with all the body parts and he's rummaging around and he finds a bag with Meg's heart in it. So he pockets that and he turns around and finds Hill's head and he proceeds to berate him. You're nothing but a dead head a no body. <laughs> so back home, Wes shows Dan uh, that their basement backs up to a crypt. This is more, it's, looking at it now, it's like so much things. It's just like, we have to set this up. Not necessarily there. The book goes completely different. But after Dean Halsey gets reanimated and goes ape shit, they move and they're like the town doctors or whatever. Okay. And they purposely get a place near the cemetery so they can get access to fresh bodies easier because they're just constantly reanimating corpses in the book. Okay. So I feel like that was probably more of a book throwback so that they have easy access to bodies and they can dispose of uh, failed experiments easier. Yeah. Of which there's going to be many, but, uh, <laughs> so he shows him the hole in the wall, backing up to the crypt. And he also shows him <laughs> what I call the heart attack chloroform, where he's made this poison, whatever. And he shows it to him on the iguana and he's like instant death. And it makes the symptoms of a heart attack or something. And he immediately goes to cut and open this iguana, but he pulls the ambiotic fluid out of the corpse. And he's like a pinch of this, a dash of that. Bam. There they have the final ingredient for the reagent. And they do a cool thing where it's the the two chemicals from the glow stick are separated and he opens the valve and it drips in and starts to glow as it yeah. drips in. And uh, he shows the finger eye and it's this little armature that he sticks 
fingers onto and an eyeball and he puts the, the reagent on there and it starts scurrying around. Dan says that he's moving out and Wes is like, oh no, you're not. Look at what I have. What did you love about Meg the most or whatever he says? And he shows him that he's got the heart and uh, he goes over the table and he's like, with this, we can make new life. And he sets the heart on the table and he's like, we can build the woman around her. <laughs> he says he's going to need his help at the hospital. And Dan says, what about the police? Oh, the police will never come here. So Lieutenant Chapman is at the fucking door and he starts questioning the duo about Dr. Hill, West work, the missing body parts from the hospital. And while this is going on, fucking finger eyes just scurrying around everywhere. And it reminds me of House when there's the hand and I think it's the lady comes over or whatever. It's been a long time since I've seen the movie, but it really made me feel like I've seen this setup before of questioning and something scurrying around. I have seen a more recent throwback. Do you watch Santa Clarita Diet on Netflix? I've, I didn't watch past the first season, but I've seen some of since oh, the first season. Season three. Uh, so did she have a little spider ball yet in the first season when you're watching it? I came into a scene where it was in a tank. It did something and I was like, what the fuck is that? And then went back to what I was doing. That's as much as I saw of it. Her, her spider ball or what I can't remember what they call them. <laughs> comes back. I mean, it's not gone, but she like unfreezes it in season three and keeps it as a pet and it gets out and they have somebody interviewing them and it's like scurrying her across the wall behind them the whole time. Okay. I, this made me like, when I saw this scene, I'm like, maybe they were, you know, doing a throwback to Brad to reanimate her in Santa Clarita diet. Maybe. I don't know. Gotcha. So we cut back to the hospital and <laughs> Graves gets curious and well, fuck Graves also finds a bottle of the reagent in the room with the body parts when he's talking to the lieutenant. Cause the lieutenant's like, what's this? What's that? And he's like, what's this? And he's like, that's something I was just about to look into. <laughs> he unknowingly reanimates this bat and the bat starts flying around and fucking attacks him and he ends up pinning it down. And I guess he could think of nothing better to do. And he cuts its wings off. And the important part here is that he realizes the wings are still fucking moving. So now even more curious, he turns to Dr. Hill's severed head and he injects it. And I think the first thing he says is, or something and he injects him some more and (laughs) he's what is it the speech he gave in zurich i think it's like your speech on creationism being the same source as disease or something it's like he he basically just talks down to the guy he's like you're an idiot and you're going to assist me um meanwhile we've got the lieutenant who sees the duo actually wheeling a body out from right out in broad daylight in the front of the hospital and i don't remember if they hit something with a wheelchair or what but the, the sunglasses fall off the corpse and she like falls over in the chair and shit and uh at the same time we've got uh i keep wanting to say a lot of vagina francesca <laughs> <laughs> francesca and her dog angel show up and she's talking to dan and she's like let's have dinner tonight and he's like okay your mom ate my dog. Yes. So Lieutenant Chapman sees this going on, grabs Francesca and starts telling her the story of the massacre while going to uh, the psych ward and talking about how all the body parts were twitching and that Dan was found over his girlfriend's body and it was twitching. And in the psych ward, we've got the old guy from Metallica's Unforgiven video. Um, <laughs> this other guy that's like slashed all the way across his chest. And the zombie version of the lieutenant's wife. And she ends up attacking Francesca and they pull her out of there. Don't know why they took her in that room to begin with. But now we know that uh, the lieutenant has like this vested interest in the whole thing. He's not just investigating. It's like my fucking wife's one of these. So back home, we see the duo. And that's what I just, that's what I called them in my notes. Whenever I say the duo, I'm talking about Dan and Wes. Right. (laughs) And they're assembling new Meg and Francesca and her dog arrive for date night. 
and Chapman's like following, pulling up behind her and shit. And like, he's always eating. Like when he's outside, he's eating crackers and he pulls up and he's, he's eating a sandwich. He's a big dude, but I can relate, but I'm not that big. <laughs> so just like what happens in the first movie between Dan and Meg, they're cooking or she's making her sauce and Dan and Francesca kiss cut straight to boning. And we've got Wes downstairs <laughs> And this is some insight into his psyche. I don't know if he's bored or if this is research for combining the parts, but he takes a leg and an arm and just shoves them together and puts some of the reagent on there. And he's like tickling the feet like he's Tarantino or something. And it comes <laughs> back to life and it starts kicking his ass. Well, kicking his face, but it's kicking his ass and it's very evil deadish. Yes. And he grabs it, stuffs it in a bag, ties the bag shut puts it in the hole in the wall and slides the, the cabinet back in front of it. Like you go here now. Um, so it kind of makes you wonder how many times he's done that. So Wes goes back upstairs. He sees Dan and Francesca. So he's like, well, what the hell? They're, you're doing your thing. You don't care about my work. And he's going back downstairs and there's Lieutenant Chapham. He's done let himself in and shit. And he ends up forcing his way down to the basement and he finds the nearly complete bride, which hasn't really been revealed to us to this extent yet. I don't remember in the movie. Do you, I don't think so. I think this is our reveal too. Chapman freaks out and he attacks West and in the struggle, West starts reciting what happened to Chapman's wife. Yes. He's like your wife died of several blunt force trauma blows to the head, blah, 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 yada, yada. And I think Chapman's like, she fell down some stairs or some shit like that. And it's like, holy shit, this guy beat his wife to death. Right. Right. That's why he's so, he doesn't love her. He's fucking scared. She's going to spill the beans on him. Right. <laughs> West gets him with the, chloroform <laughs> say that with their quotations and like so many times in the other movie the first movie dan walks in and wes is like oh he attacked me blah 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 and then he had a heart attack yeah wes just keeps happening to find dead bodies you yeah. know what i'm saying i do want to point out that i think wes has already made some jabs to dan that it's basically like meg 2.0 like like yeah, with yeah. Francesca it's like you're doing the same thing again you're thinking with your dick we got work to do you're right because when when they're outside wheeling the body out when that whole thing happens and she's like hey I can come over for dinner Wes comes up to me he's like don't let the little head rule the big head or something like that yeah, yeah. I mean it's just like and there's a couple more subtle jabs like he he's like you know you're gonna you're doing the same thing you did last time come on man we got work to do <laughs> So after the brilliant idea of reanimating Chapman, Chapman attacks Dan and West. In the struggle, uh, Chapman's about to shoot Dan in the face, and West cuts off his arm. And they make their way out, or no, Chapman makes his way out and locks the door to the basement. So Dan's like beating on the door. West goes through the hole into the crypt to escape. Back upstairs, Chapman runs into Francesca and her dog Angel, and he grabs the dog by the leg and starts spitting it around. It's reminding me of idle hands. Starts spinning <laughs> it around and slings the dog into the wall. It hits the wall and falls. And he's still got one of the dog legs in his hand. So he slung this fucker so hard he ripped the leg off. So she's screaming. He goes running off and like he can't figure out how to open the door because he's holding the dog leg. So he finally puts the dog leg in his mouth and unlocks the door because he's only got one hand. And he's all, all the quote unquote zombies reanimated whatever in this one. They're a lot smarter. They're yes. not brain dead bumbling around for some reason they're they have their shit a bit more together and they might not have been more dumb in the first one we didn't really see them in the same situations that we get in this one true we just saw mind-controlled reanimated corpses in the room with dr hill at the end yeah yeah it's like most of the other ones just tried to kill everybody but something that's mentioned 
in the movie several times and in the books is the freshness of the corpse. Yeah. So he's getting better at his job. So maybe these corpses that have been reanimated are fresher than some of the other ones. And you don't know. But the fact that you don't have Dr. Hill mind control and shit right now kind of throws the mythos out. You know what I mean? <laughs> but we kind of do a revisiting of the cat bit with Francesca waking up the next morning, hearing the dog barking. And she makes her way down to the basement. And the way it is, is you go down into the basement and then there's another door that's in the back where the lab is. And she makes it to that door. I think either she opens the door or Wes opens the door, but Wes is right there. He's like, you can't be down here. What are you doing? And the dog pokes its head out and she reaches down. He's covered in blood still. She reaches down to pet it and the fucking dog has the cop's arm fucking sewed <laughs> onto him and reaches out and grabs her hand. And I kind of fucked that up earlier because... West ends up coming in the room after Chapman leaves and he's like looking at the arm and looking at the, he may be holding the arm, but he's sitting there and he does this back and forth. Dog, human arm, dog, human arm. I need these. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know which West I like better. I don't know if I like the first one where he's just trying to like perfect this reagent and reanimate life. Or if I like this like crazy mad scientist that just keeps sticking body parts together. It's kind of like Ash from Evil Dead 1 and Evil Dead that 2. Is- Perfect. Where Evil Dead 2 is a fucking slapstick comedy movie for the most part, whereas Evil Dead was a very serious horror film. And Reanimator technically wasn't a comedy movie either. It was a, trying to be a serious horror film. It just had these like funny bits in it. And I kind of feel like it went the same path. Yep. Absolutely. So back at the hospital, we've got Dan checking on Gloria again, and she fucking flatlines. And there's been a couple of interactions throughout the movie where like all he sees in her is Meg. Like he's, you know, still in love, blah, blah, yada, yada, yada. He doesn't know anything about this chick. Just you remind me of Megan. Damn it. I'm going to save you type thing. Well, he's so into her and holding her hand that he doesn't even realize she flatlines. And (laughs) the other doctors come, come rushing in and can't save her either. (laughs) He's a terrible doctor (laughs) in the process. He's cutting her chest open, I guess, to get to the heart, to try to do the electrocution or massaging directly on the heart. And Wes is in there by this point. As he's cutting, he's like, you're going off center and all this blood splatters out everywhere because he's doing a shitty job cutting her chest open. Got to breathe, Josh. So after this bloodbath, I think we have a, a cut back to Graves with Graves and Hill's head still. And he's refusing to help him, I think, because Graves not having it. And Hill ends up using his psychic link to call on the other ones that are out there. And Graves shoves an apple in his mouth, wraps his head up in a blanket or something and throws him in the trash because he's freaking out. Because like at one point after this first starts happening with Graves reanimating Hill, he goes and grabs the the assistant that's always down in the crematorium. And he's like, you have to come see this. And fucking Hill won't talk. And uh, he's like, fuck it. And he kicks him back out. And he's like, don't you ever do that to me again. So Wes takes Gloria home and Dan's having one of those cold feet moments, you know, that he's known for. So far from the first movie and this movie. And then he's got to be twisted by Wes to, to do his bidding. And Wes is like, look at this. The, the feet of a ballet dancer. The legs. Remember the streetwalker that we picked up? The, the <laughs> womb of a virgin who's never known the pleasure of life. And he goes through this whole bit. And it's like, you know, we're right here. I just need your help fusing the head to the spinal cord. Dan's like, fuck it. I'm back in. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really hard to talk him into stuff. You it's know? not, man. He is easily manipulated. So I forget where Graves ran off to, but we have him coming back into the room. He sees the trash can knocked over and the blanket out on the ground. And there's uh, Lieutenant Chapman holding uh, Dr. Hill's head. And we see him set the head down on the counter next to the vat. 
And he starts making these slices down either side of his head and then it cuts away. But you could totally tell what's fixed to happen. Yes. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be so great or so bad. They actually did it fucking fantastic. But Chapman goes running off and Francesca's out in the hallway from that room trying to call Dan and she doesn't make it through. And Chapman comes running over. And this is a very disturbing scene because he's like fondling her with his stump. Yes. And she ends up getting away. And there's a quick cut showing that the psych ward from earlier is a total fucking bloodbath. So we're supposed to understand that the others have been released, I guess, because they've been released (laughs) by the others. I mean, the three from from, the three from hell. Um, (laughs) So we cut back to Wes and Dan. They're ready to reanimate the bride. And at this point, it's like starting to storm. We've got some shots of lightning outside. You know, it's very obvious the whole Frankenstein connection. I think Dan makes the comment about hearing something in the wall. <laughs> it sounds like rats. And Wes is like, rats in the wall. Which actually is a shout out to a more well-known Lovecraft story, which I've never heard of it before. But I thought it was a shoved in their line and looked it up. And that's what it was supposed to be. So we get cut off by the doorbell again. And Wes sees this wooden crate at the door. What have we learned, kids? Fucking mysterious package shows up at the door. Don't let it in. They're always bad. <laughs> They're always bad. So he brings it in, he opens up the crate, and we get bat head. Jesus Christ. And we don't really get to see it. We do the trick like from You're So Cool, Brewster. What the fuck is the name of the movie? Fright Night, where we see the shadow of the bat head flying away. We don't actually see the bat head. It's actually a nice way to do it if you have no money. Yeah. And meanwhile, we've got Francesca making her way through the other three reanimated to get into the house and Chapman ends up getting bashed in by his dead wife and she gets away and gets in justice. Uh-huh. So the bride awakens and Francesca makes it down to the basement. Now the bride is like so fucking confused. She's like, I'm alive. You made me. And think about this. So it's like, Part virgin, part hooker, part lawyer. Like, <laughs> this chick's uppercase fucked. And, <laughs> and in love with Dan. Like, and, just naturally. Yeah, yeah. And, and doesn't know why she's in love with Dan. And she's trying to come on to him while fucking Herbert West is like, I made you. I'm better than God. You know, he doesn't say that. But he's like, no, you're yes. mine. Like, he's very upset about it. But when uh, Francesca comes running in, she sees Dan with a bride. <laughs> And we see uh, Bathead command the others to attack. And uh, so the group runs to the basement door and they block it. <laughs> they can hear them all beating on the other side of the door and you see Wes. And then back over at the door, a fire poker comes through and Wes is like, my God, they're using tools. <laughs> and, my, I, I'm sorry, I got to interject <laughs> and I should have done this so fucking long ago. Did we not see Hill's head pop like a fucking melon? When the Dean threw it into a wall in the first one. We did. And so they tried to explain that the parts haven't decomposed, but they never explained that any parts had regenerated from damage that occurred in the first movie. It fucking exploded, man. (laughs) But we're supposed to just let that. It's a fucking bad head, man. If we're supposed to be okay with that, we have to be okay with a lot of things. No, it has to still make sense of the plot. I've been holding back on that. I wish I would have said it earlier, but I'm like, did his head not fucking explode when it hit the wall? Like behind the scenes, they used a cow brain and they covered themselves with bags because they didn't know how much it was going to explode. And he's back. Yep. Well, I guess we just needed him that badly for driving the story along. I love bad head, Dr. Hill. (laughs) 
But uh, so the bride actually gets jealous of Francesca because there's this back and forth between Dan, the bride and Francesca. And Dan's kind of like being snapped out of it. Like this isn't Meg. If you were faced with the two of them and thinking about who you were going to make sweet love to that night, it's a lot of vagina hands down. <laughs> I mean, the piece together mess that is this other thing. There's like, I don't care if that has the heart of my long lost love. Like it's the joke about Rocky and in <laughs> family guy where it's like, you, you said my personality was beautiful. It's like, but there's a limit. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I do want to say you're saying this piece together mess. This piece together mess looks badass. That's because it was K and B. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I'm saying they did a great job. I liked the way she looked. And you have the, I don't know medical terms, so I'm not going to try to do it, but like the little metal things hooking the flesh together and peeling it back. And you can see where like just everything's like joined back together. It looks fucking awesome on her. And then they kind of have like the Bride of Frankenstein hair, like as a parody, right? Because her hair is like kind of like very teased up and blown back, right? Like, so that bar was just kind of goofy looking on her, but I I get the throwback to the parody, but the special effects and the way she looked was fucking awesome. (laughs) Now we got the two girls throwing down. And while this is going on, Wes is like, your girlfriend doesn't stand a chance. Our girl is superior. <laughs> yes, I love that part. And somewhere in the fight, uh, Bride gets electrocuted too. She gets thrown into a panel and gets electrocuted. Like there's, that's the last full on call. Cause like, you're, you're right. She's already got the teased out here. We get the ah, electrocution and everything. So Dan ends up turning his back on the bride and she's like, don't you want me? And <laughs> Man, hell hath no fury like a woman's scorn, right? So this woman's like so rejected. People say it all the time. Like, I'd tear my heart out for you. So she tears her fucking heart <laughs> out and she's like handing it out to, uh, to Dan and she screams. She's like, is this what you want? Dan finally comes to his senses. and He's like, you're not Meg. Meg is dead. And the bride goes full on bonkers. While this is going on, the other reanimated come busting through the door. The bride grabs Dan and starts to fall apart. And that's so weird for me to just say that it is so cool because she is like (laughs) literally the head rips off and, and parts fall off and it splits in half. And I'm pretty sure it's all K and B. I was about to ask that. Is this K and B? This sounds very K and B. Well, it's the behind the scenes shit is one of the shitty. Well, fuck it. The behind the scenes is like one of the shitty ones where it's just, there's music over it and you're just seeing behind the scenes from some guy with a camera. There's nobody explaining. There's no introductions of who's who. And I'm like having to look at stuff and I'm like, let's look at the length of the hair and the hairline. Yeah. Nicotero. And I'm like, look at the gotta be burger. You know, it's <laughs> at it's, least they stand out, right? <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Who's K though? Like we Kirk, always Kirksman. Yeah, but I mean, like, we always talk about Nicotero and Burger doing stuff. But <laughs> I'm sorry, Kirksman. It's like your, your third fiddle to the other two. I'll go back and look at more of the stuff you've done on your own. I feel like a dick. <laughs> I mean, his, his initials first. He's like a boss, right? I don't know if, was it that? Or did, did, they, did they put them all in a hat and just draw them? Or did they I, do that, which, like, trying to pick a band name? What rolls off the tongue best? What if he's just, like, really introverted? Because, like, you know, like, Nicotero and Burger, they do fucking cameos and shit in movies. Like, yeah. From Dust Till Dawn, for example. But like anytime we're talking about like this person did solo work or this person did a cameo, it's always Nicotero or Burger. And I'm sure if I go to IMDb and actually look him up, I'm going to be a jackass because he's <laughs> probably done it too. But I don't know. It just doesn't ever seem to come up as much. Well, was he the one that was uncredited in an early nightmare on Elm Street movie and sent a letter to... Uh, Sam Raimi, and that's how he ended up getting on Army of Darkness. I thought that was their boss. 
So I remember you're right. They had their boss worked yeah, nightmare on my shit's Street, out of order. Yeah. And he was in charge bef- and they before, worked for him. Yeah. Before yeah. they actually became K and B. Yeah. And they okay. shifted out past him after that, but it's because they did all the work on the fucking evil dead movie. So it's not him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, uh, as the bride's falling apart, we get one, one more awesome line out of West. Make a note of it, Dan. Tissue rejection. So Wes kicks the crypt wall open to reveal Bathead and a collection of creatures made from miscellaneous parts. And this was fucking awesome. It was very, it, I don't know, it was just a mix of things. I could have seen it in an Evil Dead movie, even though we didn't. Yeah. Uh, it feels very Lovecraftian to me to have these like fucking reanimated parts together. And quite frankly, it just looked badass. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I'm not going to go through describing all the creatures because they're fucked up. Yeah. I mean, it's just random body parts from different things put together. And it's fucking awesome. In ways that wouldn't even make sense if I explained it to you. Just have to see it. (laughs) But uh, so as they go into there, Chapman's wife ends up pinning Francesca. Dan dispatches Metallica dude. Frees (laughs) Francesca. Then Wes gets pinned down by Chapman and and the creatures because they're all on top of him now. And then Dan frees him. So Dan's like superhero now. Cause like everybody's pinned down and fucking Dan's just like running around saving everybody. Well, by everybody, I mean the other two fucking characters. Um, <laughs> I really like Dan's character in both movies. He is like that balancing force. Yes. They could have used him in the third one. Yeah. Something. <laughs> the third one could use a lot of shit. But at any rate, Dan. So Dan frees West, grabs Francesca and the crypt fucking collapses. Above ground, we see Dan climbing out, out of the dirt and shit. And I like that scene. It looks really cool, them climbing out. Yeah. I mean, I know it's just like a green sheet that's like sewn together and they're climbing out, but it looked fucking cool. It also made me think of Beetlejuice a little bit. A little bit. What I really like is that they took the time, because when we see, there's the crypt is like a dome, and there's an earlier scene in the movie where West is escaping through there, and you see pieces of the dome falling in, so it's like setting it up for it to collapse later. They're smart enough that when they do the shot on the top, the earth is sunken in to like show where it filled the void when it collapsed. Because a lot of movies do stuff like that where something crawls out of the ground from a grave or something and it's just flat. Yeah. So it was really cool. But That he, or the sheet just kind of fell in when they did it. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he pulls out Francesca. We get a shot of the now trapped Bathead in the rubble screaming. It's like pinned in between like piles of boulders and should have been popped like a melon once again. But apparently it's not. It's not. It's just there. Inconceivable. <laughs> I do not think this word means what you think it means. But we see, you know, kind of a artsy pan over shot to Meg's heart still beating on the table and it stops. Credits. And I don't know, like I said, on second watch, it really felt more continuity between the first one and the second one and not just, a, oh, let's throw this shit at the wall and see if it sticks. And maybe watching, because this is me. I watched one, two. Then three, I'm just just calling them that for argument's sake. And then went back and watched two again. So maybe three so bad that watching two again, I appreciated it. I don't. That could do it. I don't know. It's pretty fucking bad. (laughs) But uh, to get into what we're referring to as the third one, the beyond awful, beyond reanimator. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. It came out in 2003. One of the few. Good things I can say about this movie is the naming convention remained clever. Yeah. Because they called this one Beyond Reanimator because it went beyond the short stories. Did the short stories not go out of hand enough that we really needed to go beyond them? (laughs) So in this movie, I don't really want to cover it. It's so almost got dropped when I watched it. But this movie, 
was directed by Brian Yanza, who was the producer of the first one. And I think he directed the last one. Yeah, right? he directed Bride. I should have mentioned that. And he's worked on a bunch of other horror movies, some being Lovecraftian, some being okay movies. Generally not a bad guy. I think he did like a honey. Let's think a lot of these guys worked on honey. I shrunk the kids, including him. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then warlock, which I love that movie and the Giver. I don't know if you've ever seen the Giver movie, but I like that. It's from an anime, but it was still pretty good. I can't remember, but the one thing, okay. So the warlock movies were put out by full moon. Right? I think so. I only liked the first one really. Like again, probably put out by full moon, <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to ask real quick, like by the time it gets in the third act of this movie, did it almost feel like maybe a full moon had done this? It would have felt right, so to speak. I don't know. I used to. I was praise, real big into full moon. I know. When we were like 13 to 15, I remember loving full moon. And then like, they did the Puppet Master movies, right? Yeah. I, I got out of the Puppet Master movies and you didn't. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe, maybe that happened. I really, I mean, Jesse's a broken record. I don't like sequels <laughs> and franchises for the most part. That one at least remained fun for a little while. Speaking of franchises, if I in my head, I know I'm going to regret saying this when we hit them, <laughs> but I feel like the Ghoulies movies stayed pretty good for the most part. No shit, Josh's face is making me regret seeing it already. I don't remember past the circus one, the third one. Is there more? I don't. Okay, here's the cool thing. I don't remember either, and I have no idea. I can't answer your question. Oh, so you didn't like them like one, two, and three. That's all I remember. Okay, I like them. They're fun. Anyways, yeah, yeah. I just went on a random fucking sequel bent. I don't even know where I was at. I don't know, but you heard it. Next franchise, Ghoulies. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, Jesse demands it. But this was a Spanish-American-made film. Most of the people that worked on it were in Spain, right? Like, I think it was shot entirely in Spain. Entirely. Sci-Fi Channel picked it up. I don't know why. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> Maybe they were the problem. I don't know if they got in there before it was made or what. I generally don't like sci-fi movies. I like sci-fi for watching other shit that's already out. We have streaming services now. I don't need sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Big ass spider is the only thing that I can say I was actually entertained by. It's still <laughs> horrible, but I was entertained by it. The movie. I can't even fathom this, Josh. The movie originally released PG-13. I don't know how. There had to have been like an hour cut out of the movie. <laughs> the sci-fi version is PG-13. It wasn't rated R to the DVD release. I don't know how. I didn't watch that one. Maybe I would have liked it better. It could have actually huh? been better. Now that I start thinking about some of the dumb fucking scenes in this movie, it might have actually been better PG-13. But the only returning cast we have is Jeffrey Combs is Herbert West. A shell of his former self. <laughs> he cannot carry this. Okay? He just can't. I really, this is the greatest example. I hate saying this. This is the great example of phoning it in. However, I feel like he was trying. I feel like he was trying as well. I think it was just too, too long ago. Too yeah, much of a gap. I don't even know if it was too much of a gap. I just think the movie was that bad. You can't deliver poorly written shit. I'm going to agree and disagree with you on it because some of the stuff in the other movies, he, Jeffrey Combs makes it work. But yes, this one, the writing is so bad, even he can't make it work. But you got to understand, it was a movie that worked with bad lines occasionally in the first one that he delivered. When you're on set looking around, just like, what the fuck is happening? Why am I here? Why did I agree to this? I need a new agent. Like when you got all these things going through your head, right? Like it's hard to like want to 
just summon the willpower to fucking deliver the lines. You know what I'm saying? It's a little yes. different. But yeah, he's in it and some shit. And uh, <laughs> the other people, I, I guess if I feel like it, I'll fucking introduce them as they come up. I'm just, like I said, I'd rather cover Poltergeist 3 right now. Um, I'm just going to dive right you into the fucking movie. You got a lot more notes on this than you did on Poltergeist 3. <laughs> I just said like mirrors and shit, fuck it or something. I don't remember. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it opens up with two kids and a backyard and a tent. Like, I mean, we all did growing up playing. Yeah. And one of them's being a jackass and telling scary stories and for some reason, he has a fucking goat eye in a jar. I don't know. They are next to a cemetery. He he says that clearly because we need that shoehorned in. But that is one of the few references back to the books because it's Christ Church Cemetery, which is the cemetery they're stealing shit from in the book. Yeah, which, and I want to point out real quick, I think I left this out. I believe in Bride, there's a shot of the sign and they spelt cemetery wrong. But it made it in the movie anyways. <laughs> or maybe shit it was happens. this one, I don't know. I'd have to look. But, uh... They're telling the scary stories. One of the kids random as a fucking goat eye in a jar. Thunderstorm starts. They get scared. They get out and they start running towards the house. One of the boy's sister is in the house and she, I mean, the way they set it up, the opening scene, this was almost Drew Barrymore and scream. Yes. Like I'm like, oh, she's going to be a main character. Not. No. But uh, she hears a weird noise. She's trying to investigate around the house and find it. She doesn't see anything. And she's scared by the two boys. Surprise. And then she becomes the tickle monster, right? <laughs> she's like wrestling with the kids. And while they're playing, the door busts open and a reanimated corpse comes walking in with its fucking lower jaw missing. Looks badass. That is the only time you're going to hear me say that during this discussion. Yeah. And um, it grabs the sister, kills her. And goes for a drink of milk from the carton, doesn't it? <laughs> How does the corpse get stopped? How do the boys live? Why do they cut outside? I don't remember. I just remember the corpse goes and drinks some milk. That's <laughs> all I fucking remember. Maybe it just cut. <laughs> the movie's that bad. <laughs> this movie's so bad that either Josh and I can't remember something or my notes are fucking terrible. There's definitely a corpse. It definitely kills the sister. <laughs> There's some milk involved. <laughs> And then I think it's just a hard cut to outside and the police are arresting Herbert West. Yep. Right? You have no right. We see the younger brother of the sister standing in front of the Christchurch Cemetery sign, which is pretty much the only reference to anything for the books or movies, like at this point. And he's watching and the police car drives off with West in the back seat and the boy finds a glowing syringe laying on the street next to where the squad car was where Sherlock Holmes and Dick Tracy fucking (laughs) failed to notice it for some reason. It's a goddamn glow stick. You should see it, right? Yes. But what this is just setting up that all people in positions of power and management in this film are completely in fucking competence. (laughs) Everyone's incompetent in this movie. Fucking Wes is incompetent. (laughs) God damn, do we have to keep going? We get a reanimator time skip, but this time it's 13 years and we're in a prison. We see West fucking lasso catch a rat in the wall. Yeah. Yeah. I said it. There was cheese near the lasso. He's not a cowboy. Um, (laughs) He does. It's a snare. Okay. It's not a lasso. It's a snare. Okay. Okay, I'll give you that. (laughs) Yeah. He does an experiment on it. It's really cool seeing how he has the wires like rigged in his lighting and stuff in the cell. Yeah. did like that part. I did not like the special effects on when he gets the juice out of the rat. Let's just call it that for now. He's put all the shit up as a dubious guard arrives at the bar. 
<laughs> oh, that's some funny shit. I got to point out real quick what he does with the rat, though. He does do the thing with it because the rat gets electrocuted and he's got this little vial thing connected to it that something goes into. And there's little prongs coming off the end of it. And that whole rig is just like the uh, what's the other Lovecraft movie with Jeffrey Combs in it? Um, from beyond mm-hmm. where they've got the resonator. That's yeah. what it looks like. Only it's round on the bottom instead of elongated, but it's got the same little spikes coming off the top. It looks just like it. I just realized I'm agreeing with you on a movie I've never seen. So but, I mean, be quiet. but I watched a few frames of it, so I'm totally know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the idea of it was cool. The effects were very sci-fi. Yes. So, I mean, it, it is what it is, but the guard tells Wes that he has a new job assignment. He doesn't seem pleased by it. We cut to another cell and we see an inmate named Cabrera looking for his pet, Ratty, and he's blaming his roommate, Nosferatu. They call him Moses, but this is motherfucking Nosferatu. He's got the pointy ears. He looks like he's, he's out of the pale. strain. He does. He does. <laughs> and uh, he keeps wanting to confess his sins. And he's got crosses and Bibles and it's ham-fisted all over the place. The inmates are being moved to their job assignments for the day and we're introduced to the new doctor, Howard Phillips, which is... H.P. Lovecraft's name. It's Howard Phillips Lovecraft. So that was a nice little touch. I'll give him that, okay? Yeah. And uh, the guard is escorting H.P., which I'm probably going to call him for the rest of this time, through the death house, okay? And he's going to go meet the warden, and he's told to not speak until spoken to. Sorry, there is a good line there because he's like, you know, I read about this being called the death house, but that's not what you call it. What do, you, what do y'all actually call it? And the guard's like, the death house. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> But the warden is meeting with Laura. She's now introduced to us. And she is played by Elsa Pataki. And this is actually Chris Hemsworth's wife. Okay. This is fucking Thor's wife. She was in Snakes in a Plane. She was the mom that sucked the poison out, right? And I understand she's in like three or four Fast and the Furious movies past where I've seen them. Yeah, she's she's, uh, Vin Diesel's side piece when they all think that... uh What's-Her-Face-Is-Dead. Damn, I'm bad at names. Michelle Rodriguez? Yes. We run a quality podcast here. Just learn the fucking names. Well, what's her character's name, though? I don't know. <laughs> you just see that'd be more important here. But yeah, he actually, spoiler alert, he actually ends up having a kid with her. And then that's a big plot element in The Fate of the Furious, I think. I don't fucking know. Anyways. James Wan made Furious 7. That's all I got. Yeah, yeah. Well, I recently, <laughs> see, that's the thing, is I had to watch very recently. Okay, after we did James Wan, um, I went to the wife and I'm like, we got to watch the rest of the Furious movies. I got to get to the one that he did. That's cool. That so you that's did fresh that. on my mind. I couldn't. <laughs> I might. I might. Were they good? Were they entertaining? I like action movies. They're all right for what they are. They're over the top, unbelievable, borderline insane, not in a fun way. Like, Dude, they drove a Civic under 18 wheelers in the first one. They like call, nothing's believable. They call back to that yet again in the later movies. Oh, they drive this like there's only four of this car made and they drive it out of one window of a high rise building into another high rise building. Okay, I'll let you have that. And then drive it out the window of that high rise building into a third high rise building. <laughs> like there's a limit, guys. If you're going to believe the first one, you got to believe the second one. <laughs> this is like the fucking bad ears all over again. <laughs> Anyways, the warden is being very creepy to Laura. Yeah. Just like Hill is to Megan. Like yep. this movie's got too much trying to ride the coattails. And I want to say Jeffrey Combs might have his own way of acting, but he's fantastic in the first two reanimators. I have seen her, Elsa, in a couple of other movies, and she was fine in them. She was a good yeah. actress. 
They wouldn't keep putting her in billion-dollar Fast and the Furious movies if she couldn't act, right? Yeah. She is fucking terrible in this movie. West is terrible in this movie. Everyone is terrible in this movie. Yeah, I'm going to stop. Like, everybody's just bad. The movie's bad. The rats are pretty good. Oh, yeah, I like the rats. (laughs) Maybe want to get a pet rat again. Remember when I had those when we were kids? (laughs) Killer and numbnuts. Oh, yeah. Anyways... HP interrupts the warden like he was told not to, and the warden seems to not like it. And I almost want to call the warden the pimp, because he's got a strong pimp hand in this movie, and he's got a fucking cane. He does. He has a pimp cane. So, and I don't mean like a cool pimp. (laughs) No, no, this is like a local pimp. But we find out that Dr. Phillips requested to be transferred to this particular prison, and he personally requested for West to be his assistant. Yep. The warden doesn't like West. And he wants to know why he did this. And he just said, you know, I see that he's got a lot of medical research and he could be useful to me running the hospital, right? Outside, Nosferatu randomly collapses, I assume because he touched <laughs> sunlight, okay? And it's fucking too much for him. And he fell over and Dr. Phillips gets called out and he's trying to save the patient. But Wes seems to know more than him. He's like, oh, you don't have this chemical. Give him this one. It'll do the same thing. We don't have proper supplies here, right? Yeah. The patient dies, and West wants to know all he cares about. Why? He holds a piece of paper up. What's this? Why was I requested? He just wants to know why he got fucking transferred. I don't think they actually said what his old job was, but he must have liked it better. Uh, laundry. I was thinking I, maybe he worked I'm in the library guessing. like Shawshank Redemption. Uh, I can see him working in the library. He might even started the son of a bitch. <laughs> I have no clue. It's a crossover. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> this is my fan fiction, guys. But the doctor lets him know that he was the kid from 13 years ago. He just fucking flat out says it. Did you think the plot was going to be that that Dr. Phillips was like hunting down West to kill him for what happened to his sister? Because that would make sense. I I really didn't know. I really thought that they were trying to play on what they did with like the next generation. Like, oh, this kid's fascinated with them after the whole thing happened. He researched and blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And like, we're going to turn this into a whole new fucking franchise, kids. That's I really think someone thought that's that's where they were going. Not when you think of the ending, though. That's because they ran out of money. (laughs) I don't (laughs) know. Pure speculation. (laughs) A revenge plot would have made more sense, though, right? I don't know. Would that have been too obvious? Or is it would what? have been too obvious, but it would have made sense. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he basically worships West and wants yeah. to learn all of his secrets because his secrets are so cool that his sister got murdered from it. You know, because that's how shit works. But yeah, no love for the sister. Still has the same syringe from 13 years ago. Hasn't broken it. Hasn't accidentally punctured himself. Didn't do his own experiments on it mm-hmm. when he got his medical degree. Doesn't make sense. <laughs> And uh, uh, that last part, really, yeah, that blows holes in some like, stuff. Wouldn't he have just done his own experiments yeah. or at least examined it? But Wes is like, oh, it's probably degraded. It might not even work. Let's inject Nosferatu with it. <laughs> right? He gets up and guess what? He's violent and he fucking attacks him. I don't know what fresh. Maybe fresh means you're dying. Eh? And you haven't died. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe West's theory on not needing a soul or a soul being fixed is bullshit. That actually kind of comes into play a little bit in this one. Well, I was fixing to say that, yeah. But the guards bust in just the right time to save HP and fucking West ass, and they subdue Nosferatu. The warden comes in, and Nosferatu, like, Moses is actually cowering in fear. Yeah. So he still has memories and whatnot. He's a little more human than they were in the past two movies. Honestly, yeah, he, he is. is. That is one nice, like, fucking progress, even though this is degraded formula. Maybe his fucking juice is too strong. Maybe. Maybe the juice is too strong. Maybe that was a problem all along. Should have half the dose. 
I he should have had me as an assistant. I would have figured this out <laughs> when I fucking put a bullet in his head. And put him down. <laughs> he's a little too crazy for me. But he he's like talking to Moses and he's like cowering in fear, like yes, master. And so he goes to the fucking nut shot and he gets war- the warden in the nuts. Right? <laughs> they they grab him and they take him to. A, I guess it's solitary, right? They take him to a cell, but I'm pretty sure it's solitary confinement. And uh, West just ham-fistedly hands a list to HP and is like, I need these ingredients for my reagent. And he gets taken back to a cell because this is allowed. You can just do all this stuff. <laughs> um, somewhere in there, there's a line. It's like a throwaway line. He's like, I hope you work out better than my last partner. He turned over state's evidence on me. Oh, yeah. So that's where Dan's at. Or Dan had a better agent. We don't know. <laughs> okay. But <laughs> we randomly get a romance scene right here. It doesn't even cut away. Like, Laura's just in the room. And I understand she's attractive, but he just, like, dives on her talking. And, and she just kind of goes for it. And he immediately tells her about his sister and stuff, and they kiss, and it fades to black. We did have like the previous scene where she like twisted her ankle and he treated it, but I don't know. It's a little quick for them to like just kiss and fade to black and tell about how a sister got murdered. And, you know, like, oh, West had something to do with it. I don't know. It's just like so fucking thrown in there. It doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, well, that's how it works in this movie. We see two characters kiss and it's like, mm, right at it. That actually happens in this one too. We cut to Nosferatu and he's batshit crazy, no pun intended, in his cell. And HP already has all the materials he needs because it cuts back to the lab, right? Yeah. And somehow HP's got everything in a box for West, even though they didn't have basic first aid equipment. Two minutes ago in the movie, he could get this shit overnight. Well, it's a good thing they brought him in, man. He's going to clean this place up. Maybe. <laughs> they set up shop in the basement, just like in the first one. Yep. And the second one, technically. And the second one, he's smart enough, though, to put like an extra door so you could yeah. just come down the stairs and bust on him at least, right? We cut immediately to fucking Laura and HP banging. It's very reminiscent of Dan and Megan in the first one, like the scene, the way it fades into it and everything. Yep. And she keeps asking him questions, fucking Nancy Drew style. And the camera pans out and she's got a folder that's just open. Hope to God he doesn't find it where she's working on a piece on the Miskatonic Massacre and on West specifically. Like she's playing them. Pretty much. I feel like she's fucking him just to, because I don't know if I mentioned it, but she's a reporter trying to do like, like she is trying to get a job. It was really confusing because she talks like she's a reporter, but she's trying to get a job at the fucking prison. Yeah. So I don't know if she wants to report and shit. I don't fucking know. But because the next day, Wes walking by and Cabrera grabs him and threatens him. He's like, I'm going to kill your ass in the yard because he thinks Wes took fucking ratty. His pet rat. And um, Wes. Looks over to Dr. Phillips. He's like, we need to do work in the lab. I guess that's how he gets pulled out so he doesn't have to go to the yard, right? Yeah. And West injects the serum into the dead rat and brings it to life. Because he, I mean, there is there is a scene of him making the serum again, and it, it's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, but we, we've seen it, and they actually kind of just blaze past it in the movie. And I'm like, this is one of the few scenes that was kind of neat to me. But they bring the rat back to life, and it's violent, just like the past experiments. Well, yeah, he tells him we do get another good line where he's like, you might want to hold it a bit tighter or something like that as he's injecting it. And uh, HP's not excited about this because he's he's wanting to save lives, you know, which I, nobody's arc makes sense to me. <laughs> um, but he's like, he's violent, just like all my past experiments. He's like, the serum brings him life. But now I have this. And he holds up, you know, the little fucking, it looks like a transistor tube with shitty special effects for electricity, and it's his nanoplasm that he created, right? Yeah. It's from a living donor, and it'll make the rat normal. 
Okay. So is this a different rat or is this ratty? Um, I'm not sure on that. No, this is a different rat because they end up talking later when we get onto humans about where what came from. Yeah. Um, and there is, as far as the movie goes, as far as the story goes, he does talk earlier in it about how the report saying that when a body dies, it loses three to four grams or something like that. And I just want to blow holes through that real quick. It's 21 grams, hence the movie, 21 grams. And I only know that because my dad worked on it. And by work, I mean, he was an extra. I don't, I don't even know if he ever made it in it. But <laughs> And that whole thing, as far as that movie is, the whole theory is, well, it's the soul. Right. And that's what we're getting here, the life essence. But he has the life essence from Ratty, right? And he's like, this, this will fix everything. But he gives him the nanoplasm, and it actually works. The rat's normal. So we think. It's <laughs> as normal as a prison rat can be. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we cut to Laura, and she's getting the dubious guard. <laughs> To escort her to Nosferatu's cell. And she's like, I got a production budget from the news company, right? And she's like, gives them a hundred bucks or whatever. And we cut to Cabrera and he's prepping a shank. Yeah. Or prepping to shank West, right? And West gives him ready back in the middle of the yard. He's like, look, I found your rat. And all's forgiven. Doesn't make sense. It seems like you would have thought that West stole his rat and shanked him anyways. Yeah. No shanking occurred. But I do like West's smug look as he walks off. The rat then gets glowing red eyes and starts screeching. So something's up, right? <laughs> Back in Castle Nosferatu, however, <laughs> Laura is trying to interview him, and the warden comes in, and Nosferatu attacks him and bites his fucking ear off, and yep. then fucking breaks that pimp hand out and just slaps him to the ground and beats his ass to death. That. He then tells Laura that she has to say it was self-defense, and then he makes her get on all fours and bark like a dog, and she just does it. Like, there's no objection or yeah. anything. I was just crying, but it's like, how does he already have this power over? So she, it made sense, at least with Hill, because he had psychic powers, right? Um, he then tries to get her to blow him, and she tries to make a break for it. Yep. And the camera cuts away. We cut back to the lab, and Wes is explaining how nanoplasm works, and HP saying that it's the soul of a rat. You can't put it in a human, because Wes is wanting to take the rat nanoplasm and go put it in Nosferatu and fix him. Yeah. They're working in the hot, you know, they're in like the hospital morgue area or something. And a guard brings a body to them in the morgue. And we discover that it's Laura. I was thinking it was Nosferatu, right? So when they unzip the bag, uh, I was actually shocked. And he says that her and Moses are dead. And the warden wants certificates ASAP or something, right? Probably so they can start covering it up. Yeah. HP clears the room out because, you know, he just hit this piece like the night before season love, right? Just like Dan. <laughs> and she um, was his first. I know, right? <laughs> And Herbert gives him the HP serum, and it's just like him manipulating Dan. And this is one of the few scenes in the movie that I liked. It was a good reference and throwback. Yeah. And he injects her. Like, of course, he wants to save her, right? We see that the guards can't find Nosferatu's body, because this movie actually just fucking cuts all over the place. The editing is a hot mess. When I was reviewing my notes afterwards, I thought I fucked up, and then I realized that, no, the movie just cuts back and fucking forth. Yeah, this movie, like you said, it's a mess. So if any of this is out of order... Blame the fucking editor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just, it'll go, like, you could complete a scene and go to another one, but instead they cut three times in a row, and it's not for tension or anything. It's just yeah. shitty cuts. But they can't find the body, and we cut back to Cabrera walking into a cell to get Ratty, and Ratty runs by, Nosferatu grabs and shoves him in his fucking mouth to eat him, right? <laughs> yeah. Then a guard walks in. I think it's the dubious guard, but maybe not. It, it's the dubious guard. Yeah, dubious guard walks in, and Nosferatu spits the rat out, it randomly bites his fucking nose off and then falls in his pants. 
And then he's doing a dance because it's stuck trying to get the rat out. And I couldn't make this shit up for you if I wanted to. <laughs> this is a fucking Looney Tunes skit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Other than the nose getting bitten off. But back in the lab, the warden shows up and he figures out what Wes and HP are up to. When did Harry Potter show up? I know, right? It's just easier than saying Howard Phillips or Dr. Phillips. <laughs> I know. And it's the throwback. At least they did that, right? That was cool that they did that. Yeah. But Wes does his signature move and hits Dr. Hill in the back of the head. I mean, the warden. <laughs> What's okay? <laughs> because they're the same fucking character in this movie. No, literally, they he really distracts are. him and smacks him in the back of the head. It's just like in the first movie. And he takes his nanoplasm, and it's for Laura. So, to Dr. Phillips, it probably looks like Wes was trying to help him out. However, I think he just wants to know if it's going to fucking work. <laughs> well, hell yeah. Goal-oriented. <laughs> Jesus Christ. True sociopath. Yes. Meanwhile, with another random hard cut, Cabrera and Nosferatu start a prison riot, okay? Because Nosferatu is still cool with Cabrera. I don't know why. He actually does have a lot of his capacity still, because throughout the movie, yeah. you still hear him saying, I need to be forgiven for my sins and stuff like that. So Yeah, I was fixing to say, he's still like trying to quote scripture and whatnot. Um, we go back to the lab, and they give Laura the nanoplasm, and she starts to look normal. Until we see a mass start moving through her body, which looked kind of cool. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense, but it did it. And she starts acting and talking like the warden. Like it actually cuts to his voice something, right? Yeah. Which is kind of jarring, actually. And then Cabrera attacks him, and Lorden shows up and shows how strong that <laughs> pimp hand is. And she fucking smacks him down and runs off. Lorden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Laura Warden, man. It's a nice touch. And, uh,. <laughs> The guards grab Dr. Phillips because he works there and get him and drag him out and they put the prison on lockdown because it's a riot, right? Yeah. We see Cabrera looking for Laura because, you know, earlier he called her like a sweet piece. I guess he's trying to rape her. There's a lot of rape in these movies, actually. Yeah. It's kind of uncomfortable. Um, but he's got a little posse inmates with him and they find her and she breaks the pimp hand out again and whoops all their asses, okay? <laughs> we then cut to West grabbing the rat nanoplasm because he had it hidden and using it to revive the warden. Wes says he wants to do one last experiment. He said those three years that the warden put him in solitary was very instructive for him. <laughs> he wants to test a little bit of behavioral imprinting. We already know where this is going. Right. And you're seeing all this from the warden's perspective, and it's kind of foggy, right? Yeah. And Wes says he would like to see the results of the experiment, but he has to go. There's a new early release program just today, and I qualify. But Wes purposely left the door open to the little basement where the warden was so that, you know, somebody, he just said, so they'll find you. Right. Yeah. So, you know, he's done something fucky to him and we see the SWAT team surround and start to raid the place. And then we cut back to the warden and he catches two inmates. He scares one of them off cause they're all afraid of him. Cause of that pimp hand <laughs> and the other one's hiding and just fucking eating handfuls of pills. He looks like Tommy Chong, <laughs> not like, I don't mean he actually looks like the actor, Tommy Chong, but it looks like they're trying to make him look like it. I think IMDb said his name is Speedball, which makes sense. Yeah, that that is his character's name. But yeah, he's the one that earlier in the movie is like, I think he's, I don't remember who he's talking to. Is like, do you have any of the Vicodin? Do you have any of the little red pills? <laughs> <laughs> I would have liked to have seen Tommy Chong in this role, but I think it's beneath him. <laughs> you far out, man. You just ate a rat. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> But we see one of the guards run by right as the, the inmate that the warden scared off ran past him. And, oh, it's actually the dubious guard. And uh, <laughs> the warden beats the shit out of him because he didn't do his job. And he let, he, you let that inmate go. And he just starts fucking curb stomping him. Just beats him stupid. Yeah. 
But while the warden's beating wholesale ass, he drops some of West's serum out of West's satchel, which I forgot to mention, West left his satchel for reasons that don't make sense to me. Yeah. That has all his work and his new serum and probably research on the nanoplasm, and the warden took it, okay? Yeah, he now has an opportunity to escape, and he's just going to leave all of his shit behind. Right. The whole movie's dumb. But Tommy (laughs) Chong calls it the good stuff. And he steals it off the ground and he tries to shoot up, but he's speeding so bad he can't. He's like spinning in a circle. It's very comical and would have been funny in a different movie. Yeah. It's kind of out of place, but I still laughed a bit at him like spinning in circles and oh, trying to tie yeah. the tourniquet and like flipping over. And you just can't get the fucking needle in his arm. And it cuts to him doing this a couple of times. It was kind of comical. Uh, but then we cut to the cell where the inmates are trying to rape Lorden until she started beating him. I think she has a knife in her hand or some shit. And they're all dead and dismembered and disemboweled. Yeah, they're fucked up. And her hands, her fingers are like bending backwards with some of the worst CGI I've ever seen in my life. I don't know why they are. Oh, no, that's not bad CGI. That is just a rubber fucking hand with wires. <laughs> I thought it was shitty CGI. Are you sure? It's so wobbly because it's just gelatin and they're just do 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 it was terrible. It doesn't make any sense. It was unnecessary. <laughs> agreed, agreed, agreed. But the warden shows up, starts monologuing to her. And I don't know why, but there's inmates hanging from bed sheet nooses throughout the whole prison. I yeah. don't know why. That part didn't make any sense. Well, and this was the shot where, to me, in all seriousness, it started to feel like a crazy-ass full moon movie. It, okay. That exact shot. But uh, the warden kicks the stool or whatever out from under the inmate, and he's fucking hanging to die and he injects him with the serum right and we cut back and forth between dr phillips looking for laura and nosferatu biting titties ears and noses off okay and and by titties there is a nurse throughout this movie she was attractive she was an attractive lady however most of the people look like doctors and prison guards she's clearly wearing like the party city slutty nurse outfit yeah it's like see-through and shit you can clearly see her underwear throughout the movie and he just <laughs> Nosferatu yanks her shirt off and, and bites her titty. I guess they just felt like they didn't have any boobs in this one. Yeah, no. they had to do it. I don't know. It it was also an out-of-place scene. Okay? It was. I mean, beautiful actress, boobs out, didn't need to be in the movie. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm saying it right now. And um, I don't know, during all this fucking chaos, West and HP find each other, and they're discovering that there are inmates hanging everywhere by nooses, reanimated from the serum hanging there. Yep. How much serum did they make? But the warden, once again, tries to make Laura blow him, and she bites his dick off and spits it out, last house on the left style. (laughs) We cut back to Tommy Chong, still trying to shoot up, and West finds him, and uh, he's like, I wouldn't do that if I were you. (laughs) And he fucking gets the needle in, shoots up, and his fucking like flesh explodes off his body. (laughs) Yes, this is so good. (laughs) And uh, West keeps his eyeball. (laughs) He just picks it up in pockets. Yeah. But even after he explodes, he comes back up to the, the edge of the cell. And he's like, hey, man, just one more hit. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> like, like fucking half skeletal and shit. It's it, great. His character and scenes are really funny, but some of the more out of place stuff to me. Yeah. But meanwhile, Laura's acting like the warden to HP and rips all of her clothes off. And she's randomly in black lingerie under it. Don't fucking understand. It doesn't make any sense. But it starts cutting back and forth between... Laura and the warden while Ratty's playing <laughs> with the warden's dick. Like he's chasing it and he's throwing it and they could have played like romantic music and he could have been frolicking and holding hands with it, but he's slinging the fucking cock everywhere. It's so fucking dumb. 
And once again, I can't make this shit up for you. No, and now we've gone from full moon to trauma, and not in a good way. Yeah, not the good trauma. But uh, Cab, which is, you know, half a Cabrera, is chasing <laughs> West. Okay? It's just the upper part of his torso with his guts hanging out. And it kind of reminds me of Dead Alive, the fucking, you know, yeah, the greaser biker dude. guy. The greaser guy, yeah. And um, he's chasing Wes, and... Wes beats his ass with the pimp cane, right? He gets the warden's <laughs> pimp cane on somewhere and beats his ass while the warden's walk around. He, he's acting like a rat, looking like a rat. He's got the teeth. He's like hopping around on all fours like a rat. And Laura, I don't know what the fuck she's doing, but she's been around like a contortionist spider walking over HP's body. I don't understand what's going on at this point. Yeah, she's like doing this weird back and forth bipolar, I'm going to rape you, I'm going to kill you thing on him. It's so <sighs> weird and out of place. I know. And then- Wes beats the warden's ass, puts him in the electric chair, and fries him. This experiment is over. Meanwhile, HP is slitting Laura's throat over and over again, and the rat gets the dick. Well, <laughs> I do want to say, in, in the back and forth, she is, when she comes back to being her, she's asking him to kill her, because it's the only way to get him out of her. And there is a little bit of depth in the movie here, at least, that had he waited five more seconds... Would would the killing of the warden in the electric chair pulled his life essence out of her? That's what I was thinking, because like in the past movies, like the, you know, they killed Dr. Hill and the corpses start acting a little bit more normal and stuff like that. And I was really expecting that to happen. And then it'd be like, oh, but he already killed her, you know, but I, I don't fucking know. Yeah. Missed opportunity there. It came back to quote unquote reality for just a second. But then we're going to cut to Wes doing one of his finest pieces of manipulation here. He walks up on HP, who's holding Laura's head. And what you see is Laura's body and like a little bit of her hair. So you think they're connected at this point. Yeah. But he's crying and talking to her. And Wes just reaches down and takes his fucking ID cord off his jacket like, you're fucked. And um, Wes walks out with a gurney. And he's acting like he's Dr. Phillips. He's showing ID. He's like, I got to get this patient to the OR. And the guard's like, I need to call it in. And he's like, what's your name? So when this patient dies, I can let him know who's responsible. Like, get the fuck out of here, right? Yeah. So Wes gets out. And I would like to point out, this is the only movie that we get to see his fate at the end. On yeah. screen. And he lives. And it was the end. Like, you, it's ambiguous when there were sequels. And this is supposed to be the last one. Yeah. But we cut back to Dr. Phillips. And I guess the guards or the SWAT team are pulling him away. And it's the a SWAT team. completely fucking decapitated. They pick it up by the hair for some reason, and it's smiling at him. And he thinks it's like his sister and Laura. And he starts calling her both names. And it starts to laugh at him. I don't know if that's in his head or what. I also don't know if on record he's Herbert West in prison. Like, they might think they have Herbert and Dr. Phillips got out. I don't know. You could go uh, either way with that. But the credits roll. The end. Thank God the fucking movie's over. The credits are rolling. But wait, no. There's a mid credit scene of Reddy boxing and fighting the fucking dick, which is now fully erect, still not making shit up. This is not the caliber of fucking Marvel mid credit scenes, okay? Yeah, I do have to bring up, because you see them like on guard like they're about to fight, and then it cuts to their shadows. And you see the shadow on the wall of the rat and the penis fighting for a while, and then they go hobbling around and around the corner. I do have to bring up real quick South Park. There's an episode called Eka Penis. I don't know. And it's this somebody's making a genetic thing. Anyways, you got the singing penis. And uh, 
it of course they did. And in silhouette, it does the uh, American Tale thing, the somewhere, <laughs> but it's singing a different song. It's a little singing penis. So seeing the shadow and the rat, and thinking of that episode of Family Guy, I laughed my ass off through the credits while this was happening because that's all I could think about because I had the penis and the rat and the singing penis rat. <laughs> I was just disappointed. No, as was I, but it's still funny. <laughs> I mean. I don't know if the other planned sequel that they were going to make and canceled before they made this one would have been any better. That was like, the, what was it called? The House of Reanimator. And Herbert West is brought in to reanimate the vice president. And oh. Brian Yunza said the movie was unnecessary once the Bush administration was over. I don't fucking know. And I don't know if that was supposed to be before or after this one, but that probably would have been just as bad, if not worse. This movie was terrible. And unnecessary, <laughs> like most horror sequels. I at least enjoyed the second one while it was also unnecessary, but at least was not terrible. But this is just like, it was an extra kind of bad. I just can't fucking stress it enough. The second one had elements of the book to carry over slightly. Yeah. This one had throwbacks, but not, you know, it was just like, let's show a sign with a name on it. Uh, it's just a shitty movie, and I'm actually shocked that Jeffrey Combs said he'd do it. I know. I don't know where he was at to be cool with doing it, but I agree. It it was terrible. And, you know, we made jokes on Poltergeist episode, like, we're going to cover all three. We might as well make it through this. This one, there's nothing redeeming in this movie. I laughed at some parts. That's it. I didn't even know it existed. And we were planning on doing this. I was like, yeah, we'll do the two reanimator movies. And then I called Josh about an hour later. I said, holy shit, there's a third one in sci-fi made it. Do we cover it? <laughs> and then I had to look, and it's like canonically a trilogy. Yeah. We had to do it, but it was so bad, I didn't want to. And at this point, I actually would prefer it if they made another sequel. Just so that's not the last yeah, one. Yeah, just to go ahead and... Or pull a Halloween. Yeah, okay, I go back and forth on the Halloween one. I just mean like make... No, no, no. A reanimator is the new part three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you on that. I just... Oh, we didn't even mention at the beginning, fucking at Comic-Con this weekend, uh, they announced it, it's going to be David Gordon Green doing it again, fucking Halloween 2 and 3. So he originally wanted to make a trilogy, and he gets to do it. In 2020, we get Halloween Kills, and in 2021, we get Halloween Ends, and we have Jamie Lee Curtis back for him. So hopefully these are fucking awesome. Hopefully those titles are placeholders, because I don't like either one of them. I'm just saying. Halloween ends is okay if they decide to actually end the franchise. That one I'm okay with, but Halloween kills. Yeah. Oh, it makes me think machete kills <laughs> immediately. <laughs> like, that's so not the same thing. But uh, part of you wants them to do another reanimator so we can close it on something better. Yes. Totally agree. After watching the trailers, I'm fucking terrified for the new Terminator movie. I, I, I'm just bringing that up now because it's supposed to pretend that the, all the shitty sequels didn't happen and that this is going to put us in a better place. It's the new Terminator three. Yeah. How with all the time and money does the CGI get worse? Did it watching the trailer in the movie theater? It looks worse than final cut pro. But I thought James Cameron was the executive producer. Of this He one. is. I don't, I mean, he's got the avatar people. I know that's probably industrial light magic. If we want to be honest about it, they do have like all the, Avatar shit at Disney. I don't so. know, man. I have to see it, but I I do not have high hopes, and it pisses me off because I, I was ready for the sequels that we didn't need to be squashed in a good one with Cameron and and fucking oh my god, what's her name? Sarah Connor, um, <laughs> Linda Hamilton. But anyways, I'm off on a tangent here. But I don't know. It was it was fun to go back and do Reanimator. Yeah. Um. Definitely get to see it. Exactly. For better or worse. 
it was different to do something that wasn't near and dear to our hearts. Yep. It was a fun comeback episode. Like I said, come back for us because you all have heard us bi-weekly. We are going to stay bi-weekly for now. Yeah. With so much going on, I feel like it gives us more time to work on the content as well. So better quality is more fun, right? I do want to do more Lovecraft stuff. Oh, yeah. That's going to come up. Definitely. Sooner rather than later. I don't mean like immediately. Oh, shit. Because on the next episode, we're going to tackle one of the masters of horror, Wes Craven. To avoid fainting, keep repeating. It's only a movie. Only a movie. Only a movie. Josh even read a fucking book for this one. We're going to take a deep dive into his backstory. We're going to let Josh take the reins on this one because it's his favorite director. So much pressure. <laughs> and we're, you're going to do fine. And we're going to cover two of his movies after his backstory on that episode. And then we're going to go into a part two of Wes Craven on the episode after that going into four additional movies. Yep. We're going to leave Scream and Nightmare on Elm Street off limits because we've already done the Scream franchise and we're going to do the Nightmare on Elm Street. That's right. It's going to be a lot of fun. Please keep sending us comments to sbispodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe at sbispodcast at Twitter and Instagram. Keep coming back. Keep giving us a listen. Have fun, guys. See you next time. Thanks for listening. I created what no man's mind or woman's womb could ever hope to achieve.